This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. First, he created the most frightening film ever made. shelters than this one. There have to be people in those shelters who know about us, who know where we are. With no radio content, they'll come looking for us. I said shut up! They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. Same way we were tricked into it. Promise of some reward to come. What the fuck is wrong with you people? They're dead! They're fucking dead, and you want to teach them tricks? be rewarded, Captain. Why else will they do what we want them to do? I don't want them to do anything but drop folks welcome once again to cinema degeneration this is the george a romero appreciation month we are in full swing here with the third chapter of romero's original dead trilogy the 1985 written and directed by george day of the dead and my co-host and cohort in crime this weekend is the one and only timo saban of the timo and harley show cameron jam and scott how the hell are you? How are you? How is it going? And thank you. You know what? What an honor. Thank you so much for for having me on your show because it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun doing my podcast, but it's a hell of a lot more fun to do your podcast because you have to do most of the work then. So that makes <laughs> it more fun for me. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate just, it. I'm in the driver's seat this time. You're just you're just riding shotgun, right? That's right. That's right. So so there's no drinking and driving for me this time. 
So I will be a, a passenger on this trip and, and helping you out discussing the 1985 classic. Yes, Day of the Dead. Yeah, the classic. You know, it, it is the epitome of what I want in a, in a zombie film, in a horror film in general. I, mm. you know, I, I flip-flop. I do flip-flop a little bit. You know, depending on which day you ask me is which one I, I like the best, whether it's Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead. For many, many years... It was always Day of the Dead. Then as I became more of an adult, hit my 30s and 40s, it became Dawn. But then some days, you know, like, like today when I watched it, I'm just like, yeah, is, is it better? Is it worse? It, you know, is, is, it's right up there. It's right neck and neck with Dawn. Like I said, it depends on which day of the week you ask me. But You know, it's, it's funny. This, this series of films, I actually saw chronologically. So I saw Night of Living Dead first. And then I saw Dawn of the Dead. And then I saw this right after it came out, right when it first came out on video. And it's never been a question mark with me. It's almost in a row. I like Day of the Dead. There's no question. To me, it is the best of the Romero uh, Living Dead movies. Uh, Dawn is right behind it. And then right behind that is Night of the Living Dead. And I, I like them all very much. I, but there, to me, it's not even a question mark to me. If someone says, which one do you like the most? Oh, it's, it's, it's Day of the Dead. I mean, easily. And it's funny how that is not the, really the popular opinion, I guess. Yeah, for many years, when I would say that I liked uh, Day of the Dead better, you know, people would just be like, really? Like, how can you possibly like that one you know a, right. a lot of people dismiss this one it, it, it's, it's 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 crazy that people dismiss it like they do i i don't get it it's everything i it's everything i want you got bad characters worse characters you got people that are crazy people that are losing their minds and once again it kind of facilitated what they do nowadays with the the walking dead and whatnot you know what i mean where mm -hmm. zombies aren't really the, the the problem in these movies you know in these shows it's the other people they're the mm -hmm. ones you gotta watch out for and that's what i like about it. yes and i the one thing that i don't like and, and you're kind of touching on this and we might have even discussed this before but i have a real serious and you just touched on it you did and i don't mean to kind of torpedo you here but i have a serious problem when I hear people say, I like that movie because it was about the people, not about the zombies. And my stock reply is, well, then why don't you go watch Kramer versus Kramer? Because you don't have to worry about the zombies at all in that movie. They're right. not there. I'm watching it for the monsters. Now, where I agree with Day of the Dead is that the drama between the characters is super compelling. But it's all about the zombies. Oh, yes. It really is truly. They are working on the zombies. They are experimenting on them. They are questioning where did this come from? Where is it going to? Um, and questioning the philosophical things of accepting the fact that they have completely lost uh, the, the battle with the zombie sickness, the virus, or whatever it is. They've completely yeah, they've lost, done and lost. they're coming in grips. Yeah, they're coming in grips with it. Well, that's where the John character comes in that uh, Terry Alexander plays. You know, he says at one point, full blank, he's like, this is bullshit. Everything you're doing, all this experiment. And he's like, we're never going to get a chance to see it all. You're never right. going to figure it out. Like, they never figured out where, why the stars are where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I do. I mean, when I watch a zombie movie, I want to see it for zombie action. 
but I just I loved the inner tor- turmoil between the two groups because this movie is basically civilians versus military, right? You know? And I like that angle, and it's got you know with Joseph Pilato, Gary Clark is some great villains, great bad guys. Because even in you know a zombie movie, you 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 need a villain besides the undead. You need right. you, you need a, a human character to kind of rally against. And what a great one we get with uh, with old uh, Captain Rhodes. Oh oh, yeah. he's 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 absolutely incredible. I mean that 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 performance. Is is so intense that I'm I am to this day shocked. You know that performance is so intense that when I watched it the first time, I was convinced he was an actor that was a well known actor, not one that I can like. You know, when you when you were younger, you saw a character actor, you might not have known his name was J T Walsh, you might not mm-hmm. have known his name was M Emmett Walsh, you might not have known that guy was George Buck Flower, but you knew the face. And you felt comfortable with them because, oh, this guy, I know, I like this guy. He's in tons of movies, you know. When I saw Rhodes, right. you know, that Joseph Pilato guy, not that he was never in a film before or anything. He was so intense that I, I almost recognized him. Too. I was like, oh, this guy, I don't think I'd ever really seen him before. Not in a, not in a big role, but he was yeah, so I mean, good uh, that he was immediately familiar to me. That was intense. Yeah, was you felt performance. like you knew him. You felt like you knew right. him right off the bat. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, and having met him at a couple of shows, you know, the complete opposite of his character, Rhodes. Yeah, Plato was a little bit eccentric, and but he was crazy good. He was very, very polite guy, very jovial person. And I, I appreciate the fact that I got to meet him before he passed a few years ago. Because he was just, you know, somebody that was so appreciative of his fans. Genuinely appreciative. And that... That means a lot. Yeah, you know, I never did get a chance to to meet him for some reason. I, I either I didn't I didn't take the opportunity when I should have, or I just hadn't. I wasn't at a show he was at. I don't remember. We've all been to so many shows; it's hard to remember who was right, at what. One, and, and I yeah, I've I, I heard he was a really nice guy. You know, the thing with him is that well after I ever saw Day of the Dead, I saw a movie called Effects from nineteen seventy nine. And yeah. Yeah. it's a really interesting movie. It's different. And he was in that too. And so if you want to see another uh, film, I think that maybe you could see him uh, take on a pretty big role. I would seek that movie out because I thought it was a pretty interesting uh, sort of a snuff film kind of movie. You know, in a way. Um, yeah, I've seen it uh, being advertised around because it became available recently on Shutter, and it's like on my list of things to watch. But that list is always ever growing. But oh, I need sure to break it down and watch it. Right, it is an interesting movie, though. It's not. It's not the FX movie from you know with Brian Brown in it. Those are those are fun movies no, no. too. But it's not actually the double, not the double brown, the, the not the double brown, but the double Brian movie, Brian Dennehy, right. Brian Brown. <laughs> right, right. Me and me and uh, me and uh, Angie just watched both those movies not so long ago, and I have to admit, I did have a ball going back and watching those. They were kind of, they were kind of fun. Not as quite as good as they didn't hold up perfectly, but they were still a lot of fun. But yeah, but Brian yeah, but, but was a good leading man. Why he yeah. he uh, didn't quite get the career that I, I thought he would have, but I always thought that, to be quite honest. Uh, when they uh, 
cast uh, Timothy Dalton as uh, James Bond back in the late 80s, early 90s. I always thought, like, why didn't they cast Brian Brown? He would have made a good Bond, I thought. But that's, an, that's yeah, another that's... show for another time, I think. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> right, right. Well, but Pilato is pretty good in effect. So if anybody wants to check something else out, they might want to check that one out, too. Right on. Right on. I'll, I'll, you know what? I might just break down and uh, have that be part of our double feature this weekend because uh, Patty and I are both off and we usually do monster movies as a double feature on the weekend. So might just have to do that. Well, let's it's go ahead and do the quick IMDb synopsis. I don't have a movie, I, a movie guy voice like you do, but I will just read it normally. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but a small group of military officers and scientists dwell in an underground bunker as the world above is overrun by zombies. And that's fairly accurate. Most of the time, yeah. these little quick IMDb synopsis are, are, are not right on it. They're very, you know... Uh, it's very vague, but that's a vague one that actually just sums it up quite nicely, you know. But it, yeah. it you know, it's uh, it, that's exactly what it is. The scientists and the civilians are at, not at war, but they are at war with the 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 military guys that are in this underground bunker, and and it's tense from the get go. You know, I mean, right. the opening of the movie, you don't quite know what's going on. You know that there's it's a zombie movie, it's a Romero movie. You kind of get the gist of what's happening. But that right. opening sequence where Lori Cardill, Chili Billy's daughter, right? Uh, which uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, Chili Billy was a big part of the Night of the Living Dead phenomena from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So having his daughter star in this one was very poetic. But Sarah, that opening dream sequence where she just approaches the wall and all the zombie hands come out—that's a jump scare and a half. I mean, that's like a dual jump scare. I love that scene, right? But, and I did read a little bit in the trivia and the tidbits. The first time they tried to do that, the wall came crashing down. Oh, yeah. Didn't it fall on her or something? Yeah, and it <laughs> fell on her. Like, the zombies, yeah. like, pushed the wall down. It wasn't secure enough, and they had to redo it. It fell on top of her. That looks like <laughs> a hell of a shot to have to set back up, too, you know? Oh, God, yeah. That is, yeah that's not an easy shot. It's not just like, oh, reposition. It's like, okay, we can do this tomorrow. Right, but, right. Uh, but the opening, past that part, the opening scene where they land the helicopter, you got John, the pilot, and, and Billy, his kind of co-pilot, the tech guy, the radio guy. They land, and her and Miguel, her boyfriend that we find out later on. <clears throat> yeah, boy, I don't know what she saw in that guy. He's a little I don't know. nervous. <laughs> She's really, like, as cool as a cucumber, almost too cool. And he's right. almost, almost too, too, like, hysterical. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I never... You always knew he was going to screw things up in that, that movie. It was not even, it's not even a question mark who was really going to screw things up in the movie. It was going to be, it was going to be old, uh, what was his, what was his name? It was Manuel or? Miguel. Miguel, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You knew, you knew that, that, that nervousness was going to be the end of him. You knew it. Right. You didn't know, you didn't know how it was going to happen. You just, or, or when it was going to happen, but you knew it was going to happen. Oh, and, right. it, and it does in a big way, but. We'll get to that point there in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that was a good performance, too, by the way. I mean, I think that what sets this movie apart, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but just kind of covering a base here, is that mm -hmm. I got to be honest with you, with the exception of Lori uh, Cardell, who I didn't think was it, I thought she was okay. She was I thought little, she was a little, a little stiff. Little over the place, you know? Yeah, I thought she was a little stiff. I thought the rest of the cast was incredible in this. And I don't think the acting is that great. And the other 
dead films. It's okay. There's some better and some worse, but across the board, these these characters are well defined. They're a little cartoonish at times, but they're well defined. And I think it works better in this movie because by the time you get to this point um, in their situation, whatever personality you are is going to be about as amplified as it's going to be. Right. Well, I, it's just like I, yeah. uh, the Rickles character is is a, is a one that I have written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ralph Marrero that, that mm-hmm. played, Rickles, you know, which I also think that it was funny that his name was Rickles because I think of Don Rickles. I do but too. He's, yeah, he's funny. He's always <laughs> laughing. He thinks everything's a joke and a good is a good time. Even you know we're jumping a bit ahead, but even in his demise at the end, he's laughing up until the last moment as he's being torn apart. And it's, right. you know, it's larger than life. But I think also, you know, you, you think within the timeline of, you know, the timeline in these movies are murky, you know, the first one taking place in 68, the second one in 78, this one in 85. You don't know how much time has really passed, but sure. the point in Day of the Dead that we get to this point, it's obvious that the zombies are, haven't just started taking over, haven't just started attacking. They have taken over. Right. There's a line much later on in the movie where uh, Frankenstein or Dr. Logan says, you know, they have us outnumbered something like 400,000 to one, which is horrible numbers, Uh horrible fucking numbers. You you know, just 400,000 to one. That's not very good. I actually Uh like looked on uh, Wikipedia and like was looking up trivia for the movie and looking on IMDb. And they said for the time this movie came out in 85, where the population was at that 400,000 to one meant there was roughly about 600 living human people left in the United States. Right. Right. So that's not a lot. That, that, no. that, mean, that means you got a few small pockets of people and everybody else is gone. All the right. doomsday preppers are gone. All the people hiding out in shopping malls are gone. All the rednecks that are traveling around in packs, hunting them down. Like they're good old boys, you know, you know, just hunting deer. They're all gone. Right. You know, right. But that well, first... and I think I think that if you look at the at the succession of the films too, that was one of the things that always stuck out to me. That it did a good job of the first film. The movies are spaced so far apart that they do an excellent job of keeping the timeline as far as how bad things have gotten. So, of course, if you watch the first one, things are just starting. People are like, "What the hell's going on?" I mean, there's we're being attacked by these people or whatever they are they don't even know they they don't even really realize for a little while that they're dead people they don't they don't get it like what's going on here you know and then finally right. they start realizing the dead come back then you get to the the second one the the dawn of the dead and clearly there's a struggle going on and right. and, and i think that, power. yeah and i think if power if level you, is about to the to, to hit that switch yes and also the struggle of what is the right thing to do about it we're dealing with this today in the real world with a with a pandemic that's that's not i mean it's not as gruesome as the zombie apocalypse <laughs> i mean no matter what thank god we're no. not dealing with that yeah, thank it's god it's serious. not a zombie apocalypse because yes. we've seen what people have done with the pandemic and toilet paper i'd hate to see what they would do with an actual zombie apocalypse absolutely absolutely <laughs> so so you get that you get the a bit of the people arguing what do we do about this you know in the meantime the living dead, they don't care what you're going to do. They're going to do what they do. And they're going to keep coming after you while you're paralyzed 
with thinking of what to do and they're going to keep and that's that was that movie and and then this one it's over i mean these people are going through the motions and you can tell and they're in a they are in a secure spot but they're but they're trapped nonetheless and that is something that that is uh very similar about the three movies is that they're always trapped in a place you can either and some of the characters see it as they're trapped and and other characters see it as safe that right. is a constant theme through all these movies and i think it's sort of what brings i know romero always said he he did them every decade to kind of deal with that decade's issues problems and stuff and right i i kind of see that i kind of see what he's saying i think he's almost making the same movie in a different location with a different group of characters that have different things going on too. So I understand what he's saying, but at the same time, I think by definition, if you made a movie in 1968 and you made a 19 movie uh, and you made a movie in 1985, they're just by definition going to be different. And the things people say and where and everything are going to be different. So in that case, he's right. But I did like how I thought this movie, Day of the Dead, was uh, it was just to me unrelenting i mean maybe not unrelenting is the right word but i think that <sighs> unflinching maybe is the right term but it's not... the most grueling right. it's the most grueling to me because you have people who just are not accepting what's going on around them and, and you see it sometimes where John and Rhodes are arguing and, and John's like, where do you want me to take you? Yeah. You want to fly? You want me to fly you out of here to where do you want? Where do you want to go? You know, where well, is it you want to go? Where are you going to go? To, to, I mean, there's nowhere to go. You're, when you're Rhodes best, and you know. uh, Frankenstein or Logan go at it and he's like, you know, I'm ready to take the next train out of here. And he's like, I ask you again, Captain, where will you go? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're going to shoot them all in the head. Well, what ammunition are you going to use? Because you're, you know, you don't have enough ammunition. You know, right, the, right. You're in a hopeless situation here, and he's really, you know, and they're all crazy. Because Logan is crazy. He's fucking full blown bonkers as much as Rhodes is, just in a different direction. Right, you know? right. And it's a crazy man trying to, you know, reason with another crazy man. He's like, you know, and he tells him, you know. Uh, you're just going to have to give us the time we asked for because this is all that we have left. Otherwise, you know, where are you going to go? Where are you going to run, run to? Because there's nowhere right. else left to go. I mean, when this movie starts, essentially humans, uh, you know, we as humans have already lost. Yeah. You, you made a very good point earlier. You know, they're just going through the motions because yeah. that's basically what this whole thing is. You find out, even though you really don't find out how the situation came to be, you know, as Sarah says at one point when they're having a meeting in their underground bunker, she's like, you know, this, you know, this uh, operation was put together in a matter of days, you know, and then he's like, well, I'll take it apart in a matter of minutes. And then, of course, Logan, you know, shoots him right down. And it's like, where are you going to go? <laughs> you know, right, love, right, right. Uh, and uh, John is the pilot. I, I love Terry Alexander. You know, at one point when everything kind of breaks down and uh, John says, he's like, you know, Rhodes wouldn't shoot Billy because he doesn't have anybody that knows electronics. He won't mm-hmm. shoot me because I'm his ride. He, he won't shoot Frankenstein because the old doctor can talk him silly. And that's mm-hmm. really the power that Logan had as right. you know, his doctor, you know, as Richard Liberty, uh, the actor who played uh, Dr. Logan, as they mm-hmm. call him, Dr. Frankenstein, which is a, an appropriate title for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's the only person that can talk Rhodes down out of his 
his fever. Right, right. Another thing, too, is that um, what, what always fascinates me about almost all of the, the Living Dead zombie apocalypse movies, too, is something that gets keyed on that I think is part of the human condition, that I think is what's happening here, is that these people are hanging on to routine. And I have a developmentally disabled stepson who lives in a group home with other developmentally disabled people. So people with cerebral palsy, autism, things like this, schizophrenia, things like this. These people are having a really hard time or have been having a hard time during the pandemic because their routine has been disrupted. And these people thrive on a routine. And if you watch movies where these zombie movies and these living dead movies where these people are holed up, they always seem to have a routine. Sometimes a routine is uh, doing something to ensure that they continually have a fresh supply of water. So the interesting thing about the film is seeing the character having a rain catcher on the roof, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Like, how do you adjust to the situation and then make that routine? Right. So what you're, yes. So I think when people are identifying with characters, they're identifying with the routine and the, and the zombies on the outside trying to find their way in representing disrupting that routine, disrupting that normalcy. And people are trying to find the normalcy and the routine even in the middle or even at the end when all is hope is lost. All they have to hang on to is their routine. And I think that the scientists' point in all this is that if nothing else, we're hanging on to routine. And if we're going to go out, we're going to go out knowing why. Well, the military guys are not thinking that. They're thinking they're there protecting these scientists for an answer how they're going to how they're going to change things. Well, they're the tipping point has long been gone. And they're not, it's not going to happen. So these people really they don't need each other anymore for the old world routines. They don't need each other. They don't need these guys. They don't need their military um, ranks anymore. The military guys, they don't need the scientist guys anymore. What difference does it make? So Richard Liberty's character can get, you know, the, the, the bub character to try to shave his face off and try to do things he used to do when he was a living human. Yeah, read a book and, and answer the phone, which, yeah, that's right. a great scene too, by the right. way. Yeah, so you, got, so you have this one scientist who can teach this one zombie how to do a couple things, but, but it doesn't change anything. It's just nope. lifting the uh, peeling onion layers off of what they already know. It's a bad situation, you know, and stuff. So I find it pretty interesting, too, how that's what these movies seem to be to me. They, they establish a routine. And once that routine starts getting disruptive, that's how the movie starts falling apart. Yeah. When, they, when their you know, so-called routine gets interrupted or disrupted, mm-hmm. that's when trouble comes into paradise. Right. And because, like, start, even the very right. beginning, when they're out, like, at the opening of the movie, when they're out, you know, looking for survivors, you know, you get the idea. This is something they probably did in, like, every week or every month, going and looking for survivors and never finding every anything. They're like, right. you know, we, they even, there's the one funny line where, uh, uh, what's his name that plays, uh, uh, I 
that plays McDermott, Billy, Gerlith Conroy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's he my has, favorite he guy like, in the movie. That's my favorite Yeah, I, guy. I love yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love him when he says he's like, you know, you know, living in the suburbs, you're going to see how uh, congested the city's getting to be, you know, and just mm-hmm. he's maintained his humor. But he's also a, a hardcore alcoholic in the movie. So right. Like, Which is a good old Irish drunk. I love him. <laughs> I, I love it. I love his characters. I love his <laughs> eyes. Too. Some of the most yes. expressive eyes in the business. Yes, but I like, he is like my the, the beginning, favorite you know, character. Where Terry Alexander is John, you know, is talking with uh, Sarah. He calls her out on her bullshit, and he's like, you know, what we're doing here is crazy. We need to get the fuck out of here. She's like, well, if you got an alternative, we'd be happy to hear it. And he's like, yeah, I got a fucking alternative. Let's right. get that whirly bird there, get juiced up, spend the rest of the time we got left soaking up some sunshine on an island. She's like, you could do that really, couldn't you, without a second thought? And he's like, fuck. You know, I could do that even if all this shit wasn't going on. And right. that, that leads you to believe that, that you know, to, to not believe, but to know who his character is. He, he just, he's very laid back, but you know, like he's take he's one of the few people taking this whole thing in stride and really one of the few people, him and Billy, you know, because everybody is in various cliques. You got, you know, Billy and John are in their like the flyboy uh, clique, you know, of keeping everybody mobile. You got the military click and then you got the 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 scientist click right and right. i really feel like billy and john are the only two that are really approaching this thing with a sense of sensibility well they don't have they they're they're seeing everything from bird's eye view right exactly i mean i mean and that's that's uh, I, I in my life personally i strive very hard to look at everything like that from a bird's eye view to try to me that's how you get to see both sides of a story or, or a problem or an issue, you know, look at it, look at it from all angles and beyond and be just, just think about it. Don't dig yourself. Don't dig yourself into a position or don't paint yourself into a corner. Right. And that's what they refuse to do. They're like, look, we're going to, we're going to like, they, they're taking the, the situation seriously, but they pretty much said, well, what are we going to do? Sit there, sit here and be nervous about it or have a few drinks and try to be safe. And when we're called upon to do something, we do it. Right. And that's it. But they're, they are biding their time. It's almost like they know that eventually they're going to have to get out of there. They know it. I mean, you can tell they kind of know it. Because they... Oh, yeah. It, it, the, one of the interesting scenes that, that, that really explains a lot of things, too, is, is when John has, like, he's, he's, explaining, he's explaining where they are. And he's explaining how there is a, there's a lot of storage there. There's a lot yeah. of old films being stored there and a lot of history that's being stored there. A lot of documentation, yeah. a lot of yeah, things. Newspapers, microfilm, you know, yes. census reports and that kind of thing. Right, Everybody's right. tax returns. <laughs> right. So basically a lot of everything is there they probably need to survive for quite a long time. But he's sort of like, yeah, but it's we're basically like this is it's a tomb, you know. I mean, we're gonna die with our past, or we're gonna get out of our past and try to make a new future, you know. And that's poignant, and I and, and I totally see what they're saying, and that that I think is where that movie was going. I think that where the story was going, you know, it was like move forward, yeah. Don't dwell. Move, yeah, move forward, and let's try to make things better. Or, or try to you know improve upon what what whatever we have left that we can improve upon. Let's do that. And the idea of who wouldn't have that idea, you know what I mean? Like right. going going to a remote yet beautiful place and staying there, 
I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, to me, it's, it's the only obvious choice. And really, it's, it's kind of what they talk about in all of the films. You know, like, right. kind of like, it's, it's kind of a fantasy. Let's get on the helicopter and get out of here. And uh, there is some interesting uh, parallels between the characters, especially in Dawn of the Dead and in, in um, Day of the Dead. With the yes. helicopter pilot, the reference to the term flyboy, like you were saying, and things like that. Well, and then they even have the line where uh, Billy uh, says, you know, and all the shopping malls are closed. I love that line. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that the Bub character is great in it. The zombie that's kind of like the trained zombie. Um, it, it's another great performance. I mean, Richard Liberty as Logan is certainly a nuanced performance, which you don't see in a lot of these movies. Um it's yeah, just, I don't I don't I walked know. Away I mean, from I just, this movie this with so many iconic characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Howard Sherman as, as Bub is great, and you know, there's actually a scene which we'll we won't ruin it right now. We'll get to it in a little more of a linear fashion here later. But there's a scene with him that, like you know, especially as a kid, you know, that made me almost tear up. That made me feel sorry for a fucking zombie. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, he evokes you know a fear. But he evokes a sadness about him, you know, that, you know, under layers of latex and makeup, and it works. And, right. like, Gary Clark is Steel, you know, I mean, Steel, the character of Steel is just a horribly racist military figure, you know, he's mm-hmm. he's spouting off racial epithets left and right. He's not, you know, when, you pretty much cheer when he goes down at the end, mm-hmm. and almost as much roads. But, mm-hmm. right. you know... The, Every character. I mean, hell, we even get a you know Romero regular John Amplis is a another right. scientist. You know, he got right. he was in everything. He was in Dawn of the Dead as yep. a totally yep. different character, as was uh, Joe Pilato. And he's I did Martin. read something. He's Martin. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, he's Martin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. he was. You know, I mean, he was in Creep Show. He was, yeah. you know, in many others. But yeah, he was the titular character, Martin. But um, I forgot where I was going with this. But uh, at, at the beginning. When, a lot of regulars, a lot of regular yeah, characters. Yeah, 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 just actors, a lot of yeah. lot of regulars. You know, you know, mm-hmm. even Joe Lotto, That's what I was getting at. That you know, even though most of his part was cut from Dawn of the Dead, but in right. the extended cut, you see a little bit more with his character, the cop. And I did read an interesting fan theory is that that it was that since he's only listed as police officer, that the character he played in Dawn, right, and the Rhodes character in Day are the same character. Now that again, it's just. Fan theory, but I like that right. idea because I, you know, that a guy who was, say, uh, you know, a police officer could, you know, in the th- midst of a zombie apocalypse, join the military and, and reach the rank of captain in seven short years. Yeah, you know, I you thought know? about that too. I know that at, at some point, though, it was so chaotic when when all that stuff was happening too. I had a little bit of a hard time with like, oh boy, I don't. Yeah, I mean, or it's just the fact that Romero likes these actors. Right. <laughs> he, he pretty much figures that you're not going to notice that this really right, small character right. in this movie that was made 10 years prior, you know, is going to uh, be that. And I and, and I do like, there, you know, there's a couple, there's a, I, the fan theory is a great one that I never saw, which I actually rewound over and over and over again and listened to. And it might be one of the parts you're talking about is when Bub encounters logan uh after logan gets killed yeah after and bub like realizes yeah and bub yeah and bub realizes he's dead he starts taking the chain and starts swinging it around when the yeah, shot it, cuts it, it, kind of crying cuts, you know yes 
listen, go back and watch again. When it cuts to the side of him, like it cuts out of the room, and then look, and then he's kind of like, he's kind of like putting the chain down, exhaling yeah. for a second. I swear to you, I swear to you, listen to it. He says, Daddy, I swear to you. I mean, I'm like, look, I go, that's not, that's, it's not an accident. It's Daddy. I mean, I swear, it's, it's, like, it's right there. And I never saw anybody, people are always like talking about what Bub says and doesn't say. And I'm like, it's right there. He just he said, "Daddy, I swear to you." I he will said, look "Daddy, that back over." Yeah, I never, never quite uh, picked up on that. But like, I picked up like when uh, Sarah first goes into Frankenstein's lab, and Bub kind of startles her and scares her, and kind of s- mumbles something that sounds like he says he's sorry. And mm-hmm. then there's also the line where uh, Logan is training training him and hands him the phone and says, "Say hello, Aunt Alicia." And when he says hello, Aunt Alicia, it's fucking like it's like fingernails down a chalkboard it gets your Mm -hmm. fucking attention right off the bat it's like okay this is the first and only time even in all of like romero's you know zombie movies that a zombie talks or kind of right right mumbles but right i did did you notice though one another little wink and nod uh which i never quite considered until i was watching this again here recently i just never Heard it a million times, never never thought about it. But when they land, that there's a fresh grave. And Sarah points out, hey, you know, who's the new grave? And he's like, Major Cooper. He died mm-hmm. this morning. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was another wink and a nod to to Henry Cooper. We'll just kind yeah. of re- reuse this, but I kind of thought to myself, like, that's just a nice little wink and a nod. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, I think they're there. I think that if you look at the characters, I mean, every character has a very strong African American character. Every movie does. I mean, it has a very strong African American. So you almost see that character re- almost reborn in, in the next film and then reborn in the next film. They're not exactly the same, but, but the, 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 I guess the, I don't know the, the the heroine of the film too, you know, seems to be a, uh, not. I don't want to say interchangeable, but they're pick, characters are picking up traits from characters in previous installments. Let's put it that way. Yes. That's probably the best yeah. way they. And they're pretty obvious. They don't always fit perfectly, you know. But 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 they do. And I find that very interesting. And it's and, and I think it's part of Romero saying these are commentaries on on uh, 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 life going on at the time he's putting these movies out, which I, I, I do kind of get. Again, though, with this one, um, it, it is so hyper about the monsters. They're, they're, they are pulling the monsters apart and looking inside them, for God's sake. You know, right. and that it's so heavy on what's going on that, that I think that is why this by far is the best one to me and the most interesting. I want to be intellectually stimulated. I just right. do. I want a story. I want like I like a good mystery where it's hard to figure out. You know, I like this kind of stuff. And when one of the moments that I I will never forget in Day of the Dead, and it's such a little bitty, little bitty tiny moment that I know took a lot of work to set up and everything, is when they had the decapitated head that still has the 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 uh 
the spine on, like the brainstem. Yeah, it still on. has the brain and the brainstem, but like most of the, the actual head yes. and the face and everything is gone. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and it tries to swallow. Yeah. Did you notice that it tries to swallow? That to me. That little is twitching the, kind of motion is like it's trying to take something down, but there's nothing there to. There's no mouth or even a throat. Reminds me of being stuck in a dentist chair with your mouth open. You can't close it. And you just want to swallow. And you can't because right. he's got his hands in your mouth. And when you swallow, you go, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you know, like that. And I mean, we all share that experience, you know, and that is that moment for me. And I, it's part of it is just the idea of it. Like, man, who thought of that? I mean, well, Savini probably, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm not a big look. I, I am a um, admittedly and I'm only saying this because I do a podcast and I've said this a bunch of times. I'm I've said it yours, too. I am not a fan. Of the human being Tom Savini, I am just not. It's my personal. No, experience. I'm a fan I'm of the the artist because I when, am... it, when it comes down to it, there, there. I mean, was there anybody that was better at splatter and gore, and especially I... in the '80s? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think he was more prolific. I think Dick Smith to me and people like that and Rick Baker are more yeah. more what I like. I think. I think Tom was more of a of a more of a splatter type guy and stuff, and that's fine. Oh, yeah, he was the king of splatter. Yes, that's fine. But but to be be frank with you, with this movie, this movie, not Dawn of the Dead, not uh, The Prowler, not Friday the Thirteenth, none of that. This movie, hats off, hats off to Tom Savini. Part of it is for hiring a super talented crew to help him, and not do it all himself. And I know he had the budget to do that, so that's why he did it also. But to have Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger working on it, and other like really talented artists at the time working on it with him collaborating with all these people and collaborating with with romero and i think it is hats off to savini i think it's is his masterpiece this is his between this and creep show are what i consider to be his two masterpieces creep show is very good too i just think this is so believable i mean it's for practical effects some of the stuff like man when that guy gets his head pulled off and the and it's the voice box stretches and his bitch goes up, you know. Oh, Torres, Which I know a lot yeah, of- <laughs> Torres gets his head like, yeah, yeah, and, and like yeah. It, it's highly irregular and and wouldn't really happen like that. But like when his yeah, the voice box shreds and it pulls his head off and his scream changes pitch in mid in mid decapitation. Mm-hmm, I guess you could mm-hmm. say it's so yeah. so good and the zombie. And this is everything I want in a zombie movie and how I want the zombies to look. Mm-hmm. Even, mm-hmm. even with, uh, you know, as much as I love KMB effects with Nicotero and Berger and, and uh, Kurtzman, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, uh, the, the zombies have never looked better than they've done, done in this movie. They never looked oh, absolutely. good yeah. before it and nothing has ever quite matched it afterwards. Right. You know, I, a I couple of them I, look good, but man, just like the overall makeup scheme and how they did this was just utterly amazing. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I, I'm not a fan of The Walking Dead. I don't like TV shows, so it is what it is. But I do. The one thing about Walking Dead is they, they did a pretty good job of dressing up their zombies and making some pretty grotesque things at, yes. at least at the time when i did try to watch it for a little while it didn't last long but but i mean i agree with you in this one it seems like if you watch and it makes sense because time has gone on so things decay and they're and they're getting more dead and more gruesome and stuff so it makes sense but then you, you look at dawn of the dead and it's a lot of people with like spray paint their face you know yeah a lot I mean, of blues and greens yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's still creepy. A little bit of like I mean, spaghetti sauce looking to blood, you know, kind of splattered yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you go to the opposite extreme. You go like to the Italian movies where it looks like they they like fell asleep in a plate of oatmeal. <laughs> where what, what what is that supposed to be? Is that supposed to be decay or what? You know what happened to some of those? Right, I, I love I those old Italian movies too, but it's like, oh, I love yeah, them but you are, well. yeah, but you're right. They the 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 zombies in this are yeah, they're good. I mean, they are good, and they and they do they are more extensive, and they're more, um, yeah, they they're they're more monsters, yeah. you know, in, in this one and stuff. Here's an interesting story. So I I, I tell this story sometimes. Um, this is my connection with Day of the Dead. It's not it's not a big one, but but it's it, it's it's not even super interesting. But it's my story. I'm gonna tell it anyway. So go go the right first on convention ahead. that I did with Ben Harley. My podcast partner, Ben Harley, the first first convention we did together where we had a table and stuff and we started promoting our show right when we got started. So this was a long, long time ago. And it was a scare fest. Oh, and it was a it was a Friday. I remember it was a Friday and we had, and it was uh, getting toward toward the end, I guess. I don't know, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock on a Friday. And then uh, George Romero was one of the guests of honor there. He's caddy corner from, I can see him, he's caddy corner. We even went and talked to George Animal Steel. And he was right across from George Animal Steel. And so he was in my periphery. I, I could tell you George Romero was there. You, you're not going to miss George Romero in a, in a horror convention, you know? Oh, no. So we talked to, not, not to mention the man's almost like, was almost seven foot tall, you know? Right, so. right, right. <laughs> Hard so to we're miss. Talking, right, so we're talking to, you know, George Animal Steel. That, that was a great conversation. You know, we go back to our table, and I'm looking over, you know, at... at at the table, I mean, you know, I'm just like looking at my watch going, I really wanted, I just really wanted to talk to him, you know, I mean, I, I just really, it was George Romero, you know, and, and this, again, this was a long time ago. This is not when Horror Hound was in giant convention halls. This is a long time ago. So I kept looking over Romero's table. I kept waiting for him to open basically. And finally I got up and I walked over and I said, are you open for business? He goes, yeah, nobody was coming to his table to get an autograph. Nobody. We were sitting where I could see him, and I thought it was just the fact that, that he just wasn't open yet. He wasn't ready yet. He didn't have his pictures yet. You know what I mean? Something was I, stopping him from starting. I did notice that there wasn't any line accumulating, which I thought was strange. But I figured, well, he's just, they're just telling people to come back later and stuff. And you know, this is a good highlight of how the horror conventions had changed from 15 years ago to the point where they had to stop them during the COVID uh, crisis or whatever. Right, right. So I walked up and I said, are you open for business? He goes, are you open for business? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I'm here to do business. <laughs> I said, well, the hell then. I'm going to stand here. And it was cool because he was, you know how it is. Cameron, you sit there at a table, you want somebody to stop, at least talk to you. If they're not going to spend money, at least make the time Age to go by, you know? conversation, you know? Yeah. So I, def I said, I, I, I need to get something signed from him. This is crazy. Like, how is there nobody in line for George Romero, you know? So I, uh, I picked out a Dawn of the Dead. All right, I'm sorry, a Day of the Dead poster. The iconic yellow poster with Bob on the front, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. I said, because I, said, I was like, well, I don't know which one I want. And I kept looking, and I saw this poster. I, I got to get this one. You know, when at the time, the cool thing, I have air quotes up, the cool thing to do <laughs> would have been to get either like maybe him and Stephen King together or maybe to get like a Dawn of the Dead poster. But I went with what I liked. 
And I said, I was going to do this, Dawn, but I want to do Day. I'm sorry. It's my favorite one of your movies. It's my favorite. It's definitely, to me, my favorite of your zombie movies. And he said, it's mine, too. And that spurned a nice little conversation between us talking about that film and how he loved it and me talking about how it affected me. And I don't know if it affected me in a positive or negative way, but it made me think. And it made me very quiet after I watched it the first time. It was a very strange effect the movie had on me. It really was, because I, I didn't know if I enjoyed it or not. I just knew that this was a powerful film. And right. there was a lot of things going on that I, and I think I was 13 when I saw it, or 12 for the time. And it was almost like I could sense there were things in this film that I'm not going to identify until I'm an older adult. And then I'm not going to identify some things until I'm an elderly adult. You know, they're just, it was packed full of little things I just knew. And so we talked about this for a little while. So yeah. fast forward a couple of years, and I am, uh, I'm at a, a show in St. Louis sitting outside talking to uh, uh, our friend DVD Bob, Bob Slendorn, uh, Ben Harley, my podcast partner, sitting outside, and a few other people are sitting outside at a convention. And I'm yucking it up with these people that are sitting outside at this table. There's probably about a dozen of us at a table. And um, I'm talking about, I think it was the Bowery Boys. We were talking about old, old movies, like the East End Kids, the Bowery Boys, Leo Gorsi, Hunts Hall, people like oh, that. Yeah. You know? and, uh, and for some reason, I, there's this guy, and we're, we're just getting along. And I finally said, Hi, I, I'm, I never met you. I said, I'm Tim. He says, I'm Gary. I said, Gary, what do you, what, you, why are you here? You know, why are you at the show? You know, he said, I'm, my name's Gary Clark. He said, I was in Day of the Dead. And I realized oh. it was steel. <laughs> and, I, and I said, oh, I go, that's me. I, I, and it, it just dawned on me. I'm sitting there talking to steel, you know, like for hours, Cameron, hours. I mean, we were just sitting there like hanging out. And I said, oh, I said, that's my, that's my favorite at the time out of the trilogy. Because it was only trilogy at the time. That, that's my favorite. And he goes, Yo, you don't have to say that. I go, no, no. So I told the story, you know, about how I told Romero the same thing, you know. And I said, so, and, and Gary Clark, oh, what a sweet, sweet guy. Not steel at all. No, you know? no, Although not. I will say you do he feel for like steel. A, oh, yeah, he was great. He was great as steel, and he sold it as steel. But, right. like, when I met him, he was the complete opposite. He was such, like, a, a cool guy when I met I met him in uh, – Joe Plato at the same show. Oh, okay. And they were okay. both like just, you know, you, you, when you met them, you felt like you knew them forever. Yes. You, yeah, you know, personal. and they made you feel very welcome and personal. Yes. And, and that's the complete <laughs> opposite of what Steel was like because Steel is just horribly friggin' racist. A lot of the, the language is he not was, like uh, aged well. Yes, but I still think that his death hurt a little bit because you realize when he backed himself up to that wall. And he made that sign of the cross with the gun. You could almost, yeah. it was such a great performance because you could almost see him take that facade off. Yep. And you knew yep. that that tough guy thing was a facade and he was just making this shit up. Right. As he, he was. And, and he was, was didn't believe in what he was to, saying. You know? Yeah, he didn't believe a lot of it. He was just, just trying to get through like everybody else. He was just yes. trying to get by, you know? But yeah, in my for, opinion, for yeah, in my but, opinion, being a, a rule guy, I, I I see that a lot. I see people that are just saying things I don't think they believe them at all or, or mean them and stuff. And so that, that made me identify with them. What's funny then is about two or three years later, I'm in a horror hound in Indianapolis. 
and I, I, I quit smoking, but I, at the time I was a, a, a avid smoker <laughs> and I miss it and I love it and I don't care. To, I'm, I'm not one of those uh, ex smoke, ex smoking Nazis. I, I, I like to right. stand next to people smoking so I can smell it. I love it. I don't <laughs> care. I, I quit for I personal reasons, but yeah. Um, so I'm standing outside having a cigarette and I start talking to this guy and we're, we, you know, one of those conversations where you end up lighting the second cigarette because <laughs> you're having a good conversation. You're outside already. You don't know when you're going to get away from your table next. So why not light the second one and get that extra nicotine in you? Right. You know, so right, right. I start talking. Dose. Right. Right. So I start talking uh, to this guy outside and we're talking for about, you know, 10 minutes, of course, cigarette o'clock cigarette time and nice guy real nice guy and it's the same kind of thing i go i said well i go hey I go, it's good talking to you go, my name's tim he goes my name's uh john and i said oh i said what are you here for he said well my name's john amplis he said i was <laughs> i'm i go you're martin and he goes well my, i'm actually i'm john but yes i played a character named martin you know and stuff and so <laughs> i had a ball talking to him too and i got to tell him the same story and he he took me aside for a minute because i told him that i talked to George for, for a while about Day of the Dead and, 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 and stuff. And he took me aside and told me very nice things about George Romero. You know, he said, listen, he goes, George Romero is not only a great director. And he kind of went on and started talking about things he had done for him personally and stuff like that. And stuff, stuff you love to hear. It was stuff that um, my old friend, my, my late great friend Danny Hicks would tell me stories about Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, some of the generosity that they would have and as a fan of these films since you're a kid it warms your heart to hear that these people have that much good in them and they brought you that much entertainment i'm not sure how much joy george romero brought me but he sure brought me a lot <laughs> of entertainment you know because the dead dead movies are hard they're hard and i they're, they're, not, they're not very lighthearted at all no they're not and the only reoccurring dream i've ever had nightmare has been me sleeping like in a cave, the mouth of a cave up in a mountaintop. And I can see for hundreds of miles around, like you're in the Rockies. And I can tell miles and miles away, there is a horde of zombies making their way toward me. It might take them a week to get there, but I can see them. Yeah, they're going to so get there. Yeah, they're going to get there. And what do I do, sleep or do I move? Do I fortify or do I move? And I don't know what to do. And there's is, not much. Is it I the same do. way every time you have it? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And it's it's completely from Day of the Dead. It's not Dawn of the Dead. It's not Night of the Living Dead. It's Day of the Dead. I never had the dream until after that. Now I don't have it all the time. I haven't had it in a really long time. But the only reoccurring dream I'd ever had, that was it. It was real simple. Nothing was attacking me, but I knew it was going to happen eventually. Just, yeah, it was this. Well, you know, and that's the thing I, lo I love about these movies too. It was before the introduction of the fast-moving zombie. You know, there's something about a slow-moving zombie and the idea of a slow, creeping death that's going to get you no matter where you go. You know, right. fast death, you, know, you get chased, you run a little bit, you fall down, you get you get killed, it's done, it's over. But something about that slow-moving kill, it's just creepier. It's just it a little is. bit more, more like, again, like, uh, you know, it's like... Fingers moving down your spine. It's just, it raises the hair on the back of your neck. Right. Well, it's, it's real simple. I mean, I've heard right. people like debate, debate the fast, slow, and everything. It's real simple. Ask yourself this. Do you want to die a slow death or a fast one? 
I would much rather die a fast one. Well, you tell me who's got a different answer to that. And you that, do. to me, is the answer. <laughs> I mean, that's the answer. That's the answer to, to like, you know, what was it, fast or slow? What, what do you prefer? It's like, well, if you're a person who actually likes action films and things, you probably enjoy 28 Days Later and stuff like that. Uh, but if you're a person that really takes the horror movies from, a, from a horror perspective, the slow-moving zombie thing is is so terrifying because it is a slow death. Your death started when that zombie started walking towards you, even if it was two months ago. Uh, yep. It follows. The movie It Follows? Yes. That, good example of that. It's Actually, a real good example. I, I love the, the premise of that movie, but that was one of my least favorite movies of all time. Really? It's See, not- I... I Ah, I just yeah. found it interesting. I just found it interesting. Well, I, I, I found the I idea yeah. very interesting. I just, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get behind the characters. I couldn't get, there was many, many reasons I didn't like that movie. And it's not because I thought it was a boring or stupid or anything like that. It was just the idea of the, these kids and how they reacted to it, I guess, is more or less how, what I didn't like. But that's, it's de- yeah. It's definitely it's, a high concept film it's definitely a high concept film where if you're not gonna buy into some of that stuff you're talking to you know here's the funny thing too cameron i don't remember the characters except for the good looking naked girl walking (laughs) i remember her i don't remember remember that part yeah i do remember it looked like to me as if it was a a metaphor for like uh, sexually transmitted disease Uh, i thought that was a little like too in your face a little bit and stuff but the part about the part about something walking toward you and just unrelenting. It doesn't matter. The, the earth is round, much to the chagrin of some flat earthers. The earth is round. <laughs> so if you're going to walk in one direction, if you, I mean, I mean, Lucio Fulci proved that you could walk under the ocean if you're a zombie. <laughs> so, right, right. Well, so if you're just going to walk in one direction, you're going to come across somebody. Brings apart upon the idea of zombie sharks. We need to do a show about zombie sharks at some point. I'm telling you that. Do you remember seeing that the first time? Like, yeah, did that, I just that was that? actually my first. That, that is actually my first movie memory. My first movie memory. Not really? First movie I remember seeing, but the first movie I ever remember seeing. Uh, my mother and my godmother and godfather at all went to the drive-in, and I was tagging along because my mom didn't have a babysitter for me. I was five, maybe six years old. Uh-huh. We went to the drive-in. They were watching uh, Cheech and Chong's the next movie. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. And there's oh, was, that, yeah. it was a place called the YNW Drive-In, and there were three screens. Usually they'd uh-huh. have comedies on one and, you know, horror movies on another. They were playing Fulci Zombie on the opposite screen. I'm looking out the side window, and all I remembered was the two <laughs> scenes. I remember the zombie versus the shark, and I remember the infamous eye gouge scene. That's yeah, the yeah. first movie I ever remember seeing, and thus began my descent into horror or madness or both. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's, that's a it's a weird movie to the, be the first one. Like you know, I know I've seen a bunch of movies before that, but that's the, that's the one that made the impression. You know, you had no problem with David Lynch after that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, you no! Know, all these challenging films after that, you're like, hey man, the first thing I ever saw was a zombie biting a shark. So, you know, go ahead and try right. to try to surprise <laughs> me now. Why don't you? You know. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a that's that's funny though. That's that's I don't really remember my first. I don't, I don't remember my first, I guess, I don't know, maybe the first horror, there was a TV show called The World Beyond, 
and it the, there was an episode that starred Bernard Hughes and Joe Beth Williams called Monster. And it was the, the TV show only had two episodes. And it was supposed to be this guy who had a who had a near-death experience and then would get these messages uh, that people needed help. Something supernatural was going to attack someone. So he would have to go help them because it would it would basically invade his psyche. So for instance, Joe Beth Williams her brother lived out on an island, and it her and they lost contact with him. And so the the main character, who was played by Granville Van Dusen, that's a good one for you. So he he would get these psychic messages, and it would be Joe Beth Williams saying, "I need help. I need help to find my brother. My brother, you know, stuff like that." So he would just make his way there. He'd be compelled to make his way there and help Joe Beth Williams find his brother, find her brother. Well, they go out onto the island, and Bernard Hughes, if you don't know who Bernard Hughes is, he was the grandpa from Lost Boys. And Bernard oh, okay. Hughes, yeah, Bernard Hughes, uh, he charters, like, basically a speedboat with his dog uh, on this like, <laughs> lake. Looks like, like one of the Great Lakes or something. So he charters boat rides. So, so they charter him to take, to take them to this island where her brother lives on. And, of course, uh, brother's nowhere to be found. And they, they, there's no one, there was enough, there is another person who lives on the island. That person is also missing. And what they find out is that her brother was into like witchcraft and made a golem, a golem out of mud and sticks. So basically made this big Frankenstein monster thing. And this thing was unstoppable. And it went around the island and just, and was like bashing its way through doors and stuff. And they, they like, they cut its hand off and its hand moved around on its own. And it was like, I mean, dude, this was scary. This was some scary stuff. And I was four, five, maybe. And I couldn't sleep for weeks. It's the first time I remember that ever happening. And um, I do have a, a bootleg of a beta max recording of it off of television the night it aired wow it, it, now it, that's now that's like as old school as you can get when you got a bootleg of a betamax recording <laughs> yes and and there is a whole little group of people on online who for years and years and years and years i always told people that i collected films because i was looking for my mud monster movie i'm talking to my 20s like, what do you mean you're Mud Monster? And I was like, when I was a little kid, I saw a movie on TV. I don't remember what it was called. I don't remember anybody that was in it. But I remember that there was a guy who went with this girl to an island. And this old boat captain took him to this island. And then there was this monster made of mud and sticks. And I would tell people this whole story. Salt killed it. They couldn't handle salt. If it stepped on salt, flames would come up and stuff. And they were surrounded by salt water. So uh, okay. on an island. So it was kind of stuck there. I forgot about that part. So it must have been the ocean. So anyway, but so I would tell people the story. No one had ever heard of it. So when I was dating my wife, uh, this is the very early days of the internet. I was explaining to my wife, now wife, my girlfriend at the time, this movie that I don't know the name of. I can't find it. I have thousands of movies that I had never heard of. And I would only buy them if they remotely sounded like this could be it. She got on a message board and found a whole group of people who had the exact same story I did. 
who were questioning whether or not this ever existed or if it was just in their memory. Uh, and, kind of put it out there into the ether whether or not it, this movie yes. really existed. <laughs> and I didn't know if it did. Because, you know, Cameron, you get to a point, and you're there, you get to this point where you're a pretty sophisticated movie fan. Yeah. And you're a pretty sophisticated horror. Pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, knowledgeable about the subject, yep. Right. And, and then you get pretty sophisticated about horror, and then you talk to people about this, and then you sound like an idiot, kind of, because you're like, well, this is all I remember, but I, well, what was the name? I don't know. Who was in it? I don't remember. I was four or five years old. I didn't know actors' names. Right. You know, right. I, didn't, I couldn't read the TV to see what the hell the show was called. But I remember also something else, and this is what always stuck in my mind. I saw it twice. It, they re-aired it as a made-for-television movie. So it started off as an episode of a series that only had two episodes. And the other one was about a vampire and everyone said it was awful. Like that's probably why it didn't become a series anymore, but they took the monster episode and then they basically took, I don't know if they changed the opening credits or not, but they made it into basically like a syndicated made for television movie that they could play in an hour on TV to fill up some time. And I saw, I saw it twice. I understand. So well now I know it was called the world the world beyond, and I know who was in it. Uh, but the point is, my wife found that found that message board, and there was one person who had recorded it on Betamax, and was was giving it to people, but refused to take money for it. They didn't want to get in trouble. So if you sent them like a dollar sixty or something like that, which is exactly the money amount of money it took to to mail you something. They would mail you a video CD of it. <laughs> a video My, CD. A video that tells CD. you how old we are, folks. That's right. So I got a video CD. That I transferred that to DVD. And then I transferred it to some friends who sell, let's say, movies that aren't released. So because of that, it is now available if you go to a horror convention through a few people. Because I, my wife now found it. And to this day... I can pretty much tell you that that's not, that's not the only reason, but that's one of those really special reasons I married my wife. Because at the time, that was my whole life. I was, I was searching for that movie. Searching and searching and searching and searching and searching. Found, and she found it. And with, you knew it was love right then, right? Uh, I, how do you... Boy, that's a... <laughs> I owe her. I still owe her. <laughs> you know, and we still watch it every now and then. And you know what's really funny? It holds up. And she watched it, and she said, this is creepy. And I said, yeah, it's scary. It's really scary. It's a scary... And the creature has a, has a howl, and they can hear it howling on the island from far away. And it's like a zombie. It's coming toward them. It walks. It's coming toward them. They don't, they don't know what's going to get to and stuff. But anyway, that really sidetracked us, but that is the first, first time mm-hmm. I remember watching something like a horror film or something. Um, and it was on television, yeah. And I've been obsessed ever since. Um, but it's still funny. Uh, I think it's funny that it, it all began as a as a as a dupe on a on, from Betamax. That's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's that's how I got it, and I, I'm glad to have it. I am so glad to have it. And I did I did look it up, and as typical, again, we are sophisticated movie fans. We know how this works. There was a legal issue between the person who composed the music. And the director of the show, of the episode, that legal battle never got solved. 
and all the principals involved are dead. It's uh-huh. never going to get it's never going to get solved. So unless somebody digs up the negative or something of it or finds it somewhere, that's it. It's gone. And that is another reason too. Uh, as, as a collector, that I have a library of films. Because someday, 100 years from now, I want somebody to discover something that I collected that they can't find anywhere else. Exactly. That's part of the reason why I have, like, VHS collection or a Laserdisc collection for all those movies that never saw, mm-hmm. you know, any more physical releases on DVD or Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, you know, they might one day, but then again, they may not. Mm-hmm. That's mm. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know we're talking about Day of the Dead supposedly here, but and now Day of the Dead, I don't think they're gonna have that problem. A little bit, you know, yeah. It's all good. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's our it's our show. We can do whatever the hell we want. Well, I don't tell me that now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be going off in all kinds of directions, but but um you know it, it, it what what I appreciate about it is that that led me into horror films, which led me into watching which led me into discovering who actors were and directors were, and then maybe I would watch a movie that they did that was a drama or a comedy and kind of got me into other, other things, you know, too, as far as movies go. And, and it's funny too, is that um, I actually think it was part of my education as, as an adult, because I would watch uh, me and my wife just watched, ah, you know what? I haven't watched this in probably 20 years or more, but me and my wife just watched JFK uh, this last week. I, I don't and, know that I've watched that since the 90s. Well, it's three and a half hours long. That might be one of the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a short one. And it is it's a little, little bit long-winded. It is. And it's full of conspiracies, this and that. And we have decades of research and more information now uh, that we didn't have when that movie came out. And um, it's funny because while we were watching it, I was telling my wife what was bs and what was kind of still out there in the ether is yeah that that really did happen that was that was weird you know and stuff but the reason i knew that is because i watched a movie that was very fictionalized and i wanted to know what what the what the the truth was as best as i could figure it out you know and i i i think that that's if you have intellectual curiosity and you watch even horror movies and stuff it can really be a window into the world into your education my kid does this with um video games He watches, yeah. he plays video games and uh, he's a history buff because of it. I mean, yeah, so there's some good to come from video games and stuff like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the Call of Duties or, you know, right. Redemption that gives you, you know, a glimpse into the history of the Old West and whatnot. So, well, and horror films. all mindless killing. <laughs> no, and in, in, in horror films, I mean, what's the difference? I mean, horror, when we were kids, when Day of the Dead came out, 
I mean, it Day of the Dead itself was one of the movies that was being lambasted by the do-gooders, I guess you could have society you call them. The people that wanted that were afraid Tipper of society. Yeah. Yeah, Tipper Gore was terrible about that stuff. You know what I mean? It's 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 like the more you push back against it, I think the more popular it becomes anyway. So I don't really know what the point is, you know, but at the same time, you know, you look back and people that were even George Romero said, you know, well, you know, I have my fans who are Dawn fans and they like the zaniness and fun of that. And then I have my Night of Living Dead fans who are the, you know, I'm the original. I like where it all came from. He goes, and then we have the real trolls that like Day of the Dead. I'm like, ah, I'm not a troll. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, like it for whatever. But I think that for me, um, you know, I think part of it, I, 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 maybe I was into them because they were taboo. I don't think that was it. I was just really interested in them. I was but, just interested know, in the idea of, to be quite honest, it was always an, a, the allure of people dying and coming back to consume the living. It's that simple mm-hmm. idea of just. You know, we die, we come back and become our own food. There's mm-hmm. something just, I, I don't know what it is in my twisted brain, you know. It, it was something that, you know, like I saw when I saw a zombie as a kid, you know, five, six years old. It just, it made me go, I want to see this movie. I like, I was trying to convince my, my mother to reposition the car so that I wouldn't have to look out the side window <laughs> right, to watch right. the, the movie. You know, right. I'm, like, I'm like, fuck. Cheech and Chong, I'm like, you know, and I love Cheech and Chong, but I was like, I don't, I want, I want to know what the hell this is. What are these things that look like they're covered in clay, you know, with maggots right, right. off of them eating people? Right. And that was, right. you know, only a couple of years before, you know, this came out because I mean, that was only four or five years difference right there. Right. And now, see, it was I, funny because when I, when I saw Night Living Dead the first time, remember I saw him in order. Right. I saw Night Living Dead, of course, it was public domain. And, and, and they would sell that one of the very first cheap VHSs you could afford. If you would see them like at a Kmart or something like that, you know, was Night Living Dead. They, they, I think Good Times put it out or somebody put it out. You know, I was bad, just going to say yeah. Good Times. That's what I remember my first copy of Night Living Dead was a Good Times release. That bad print where it's all shadowed, all the, 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 it's, the contrast is all up. It's a real washed out print. But you watched it. You watched and the audio is, is, the audio is all jacked up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, is I didn't know what it, I, I knew I had heard of the movie, but I didn't see it. I had never seen it before, and I. But so I'm with my dad. I'm a little kid, but my dad, you know, and I think it was Kmart, and, and there was a VHS thing there, and I think there was Alice, Sweet Alice was in there, and Night Living Dead, and I think like War of the Gargantuas or something like that, you know. So I got Night Living Dead, and it scared it scared me, and it was the oldest the black the black and white one, you know. I mean, it was like I didn't think it was gonna be scary. Because it was an older movie, and it scared me. It was scary. I didn't yeah. know what it was. So what I'm saying is, I put in Night Living Dead blind. I didn't know. I did not know what the monsters were. I didn't know it was zombies. I didn't know they ate people. So I actually put that in, not having any idea of what I was about ready to see. Yeah. So no. During the, no. So during the scene. Where they start eating the, the, the two people that get the, the, that are in the truck. I oh, was yeah, like, they blow up the truck. Yeah, you're right, right, right. Yes. So you're watching a black movie. You just saw some nudity, which you're not used to. And as a kid, 
Again, I know people who are young don't understand this, but you know, you, you know where I'm coming from. A black right. and white movie when you're a you kid. You yes. did not see nudity in black and white films. No, I know they existed, but not in what we were being fed, you know, stuff. But so I, I'm seeing this, and then I'm seeing people getting eaten. And then I'm seeing the uh, another thing that was a little different, a, a black and white movie where the main character was an African-American guy. That was different. Um, right. Everything was just a little, I didn't expect any of it. And, it, and then the main character <laughs> being killed almost uselessly at the end for no real reason at all, just except to be mean. That's what I kind of saw. I mean, the movie was just mean, you know, and boy, it, it, it did affect me. I was like, what the hell did I just watch? And it was scary. I mean, it was scary from the opening minutes, you know, to like the end. And I'm like, wow. So it was a powerful film to me. Dawn of the Dead uh, was similar to me, but at that point I knew where I knew what I was getting into. Dawn of the Dead was impressive because of the, the, the biting they had the, right. They had the latex that would pull and stretch and you know, get stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I think you had, you had, especially in the opening shots in the apartment buildings, you had oh, yeah, when, the, when the SWAT teams, uh, the, the police are storming the, the apartment complex, the housing complex. Yeah. Yeah. You had like, you could just, I mean, they're really short bursts of this stuff, but you could see that these were families that were attacking each other. And well, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was husband attacking. Yes. Wife. It was, you know, kids attacking their, their parents and whatnot. Right. And, and yeah. And you could feel it getting out of control. And well, you know, in that movie yeah. was the sense of in the first movie, you don't know what's happening. It's the beginning right. of the situation. But the second one, you're starting to lose hope by this one. All hope is lost. You're exactly. Like they, the, your heroes have essentially already lost. This is kind of like what happens at, like, you know, I always said Day of the Dead was kind of like what happened after, you know, obviously in the, the scheme of things is what happens after dawn and after night. But, like, if you wanted to know, like, what happens to these characters, you know, once the movie's over and the end credits roll, this is what happens to them. Mm-hmm. They're just left to kind of sort of exist like you mm-hmm. said, they're just kind of like you said it before earlier. They're going through a routine. They're holding on to a routine because that's what humans do. They get a routine and they hold on to it with like, you know, with their claws. Right. And that's what everybody's doing. You know, I mean, like Frankenstein is doing his research. You know, Sarah's doing hers. John and Billy are flying. The military guys are being assholes, you know, and, and trying to like hold on to the mission, you know, but. What are they holding on to? Like, again, it's this, uh, we've already talked about this angle of it, but like John says, you know, there's really nothing left for us to do. He's like, so why don't we go, like, get in on an island, soak up some sunshine, make some babies, and teach them to never come over here, to never right, take right. this stuff up and not make the same mistakes that we, we do, which is a noble idea, but you know, it's never, you know. I mean, it does essentially happen at the end of this movie. They do get to an island. They do, you know, escape. But really, is there any hope? There's no hope. Is this, you know, kind of like just like you said, let's just like spend what's time we got left soaking up some sun. I I don't think, you know, getting drunk on an island and and fishing on a beautiful tropic island is probably the worst way to go. (laughs) No, I'd probably start a zombie apocalypse if I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was my end game. I, I, I'm going to start screwing people. I'm going out here and doing this, you know? So, yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing too, is that the, the first, to me, the first two movies are cruel. 
they, 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 as an audience, you like, it's almost asking you to grab onto some hope for a resolution yeah. of this. Like, there, there's, there's still hope. There's still time. It isn't over yet. We're still doing this, you know, it was, it's still, and it's like, it's useless. It's really pathetic, you know, and, and I don't, as much, the thing with Donna Depp, people like, like, like Romero said, people like the, the zaniness of it. I don't. I think it's cruel. I think that when you're having the, the um, oh, his name's escaping me now, but the, the, the funny SWAT team guy. Um, oh. Uh, uh, I can't think of it. I, I, matter of fact, he's a really not, swell not guy, not too. Peter, um, Peter was, Peter was uh, Ken Forey's character. Yeah, uh, and Ken Forey is great in that, too, but his partner, basically, like his, his buddy in that, who they're having fun, and they're going through the mall, and they're... Okay, yeah, they're they're, they're having yeah. a good time killing killing off zombies, and it's it's supposed to be slapstick and funny, and they're doing this the whole time. I'm sitting there going, "That dude's dying. That dude yeah. is dying. There's no reason for him to be having a good time at all." I think it's cruel. I really do, and I think that the, the Day of the Dead, I, maybe it's why I didn't know how to react to it because I kind of felt like it was the one movie where the audience was put in a spot. Where they were like, it's over. It's right. over. What are these people doing? And Dawn of the Dead, you think, what are they going to do next? How are they going to do this? And, and, and Day of the Dead, you're just like, you're just kind of, you're helplessly watching it. And you're just like, yeah, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? It's over. Yeah. It's over. Yeah, and I, exactly, yeah, exactly what, uh, you know, Frankenstein says to, to Rose, you know, we're, okay, you, you got to, you, your big plan is to make a run for it. Right. Where, right. where, where, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Right. What's your plan so, beyond getting in the helicopter and getting into the air? Right. So ironically to me, Day of the Dead is the most optimistic one. Because it ends where they're on a, a sunny beach. And there ain't nothing attacking them, and they're not, they're not, they're pretty content. They finally did what they probably should have done in the first place. Just get the hell out of Dodge. And, and I think that it's, it, to me, it, it really, I know Romero did more dead movies, but to me, you can end it there. Just end yeah. it there, because that is the optimism that, that Night of Living Dead did not have at all. Dawn of the Dead was like really like, it toyed with you. I mean, it, it, it wanted you to laugh and the, the pie fight. I'm sorry, but no, that, no, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, no, the, 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 the biker, the biker gang thing that comes into the, that messes everything up for the other yeah, characters. Really? I thought that plans. was, yeah, I kind of thought that was just stuck in because they needed something to screw up their plans. And it was it was mean. I just thought it was mean and cruel. And I think Day of the Dead is much more of a intellectual, thought out movie um, where they're really digging into what these things are, what's happening, what happened. Now it's happening. What happened? What happened? What? How did this? How did this happen? What are these things? Why are they eating people? No one ever asked that. No one ever. Well, asked you know, why. The, there's a line that Sarah has. I think you know you're spending when she says to. Uh, Frankenstein, you're spending too much time to de describe what's happening in instead of finding out what's making it happen. Right. You exactly. know, because the whole idea that they got that 
in the underground bunker that they have a whole section of the bunker that is a cordon off corral filled with zombies that they have to go and corral, you know, two at a time or one or two at a time and bring them to the, <clears throat> you know, the Frankenstein and the other scientists to work on. Right. It's just crazy ludicrous that they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, like Rhodes even says, you know, where does it say we got to keep those dumb fucks next door to where we sleep? Right. And, right. You know, and then Miguel, I mean, with Miguel, who's basically the scapegoat of the movie, he's the, you know, we've already said, you know, from frame one is obvious he's falling apart at the seams. Right. It's not really his fault. You know, no, what it's happens, not, not, not that it's an equipment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, yeah. where they're, they're, you know, cause they got like, uh, you know, straps or leather straps around their neck and they would, you know, have hook yeah. up with, uh, and they would just hook them and then have them on those long kind of, uh, poles you know right. to keep them at bay when that thing breaks free it's not his fault you know it takes out a couple of his you know it takes out nicotero and right. i got the other guy's name the other military guy that it took out um mm -hmm. i think that the character's name was miller but i forget the actor's name so you have to forgive me mm -hmm. but uh you know and that's the catalyst of the situation where everything goes downhill because right. everything was going downhill we kind of skipped over the part where you know Pilato or Rhodes, you know, Sarah's leaving the, their big meeting and, and, you know, he tells her straight up, you either sit back down or I'm going to fucking shoot you. I'll have you shot. Mm -hmm. And there's a that standoff moment where even John is like, shut the fuck up and sit down. Bullets right. are going to start flying and we're all going to die. Right. And I love the fact that he's not going to do it. He's going to have Steele do it. Right. But, you know, like that's the, the moment, you know, like where. You know, the tensions are already high. That there's racial tensions. There's obviously sexual tensions because, like, let's face it, Sarah, the Sarah character, is the only female in the entire movie, with the exception of female zombies. Right, there, and she's it, not as she's not a very sexual person, no. but she's certainly not ugly either. No, no, no. You I know? mean. It, um, yeah, but she's I mean, not so, sexualized yeah. in any way, except for you no, know. No, she's not. But what would you? I mean, yeah, you're a guy. You know exactly. I mean, at some point, you're like, oh, right. oh, oh, oh. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, right. yeah, I mean, there's gonna it's gonna be got a dozen right, guys yeah. in this underground bunker with one woman. You know, there's yeah. gonna be some sexual tension. Well, and you that's that's brought out between the Miguel character because that's supposedly like her boyfriend. I still don't know what she sees in this guy, but. The thing is, is like the, the Miguel. Maybe she saw something in him before he started to lose his mind. I guess Maybe it's possible. He was a yeah. conversationalist, right. you know. Or but something. it don't help him. I mean, it doesn't help him at all because he's the only one getting anything. You know, right. I mean, so it doesn't help his character. I mean, it makes him even twice as paranoid too. These little things we're talking about, though. I mean, this is what I like about this movie because they don't over discuss it. Their archetype situations and characters and things to where the, the kind of falls into place and, and, and it allows your own prejudices and stereotypes which are just built into us at some point to go to fill in those blanks and to understand what's happening here right and, 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 and the main beat you over the head with it they give you the little tastes you know a little sip if you yeah. will you they know and you, they're right right they give you an archetype and they and they they pretty much stick with it, and they allow the actors to through their performance right to let you know who they are. So it's not that it's not a dramatic film with people; they aren't over discussing this stuff. They 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 are trusting the audience to get it. They get it. They understand. And so most of the dialogue and most of the mental process through the film is is trying to figure out 
the the creatures and their behavior and stuff but it really is centering around that i still think that that is why i like this one the best it's not people trying to close off a mall right right you know they're they're treating their the audience they're treating us as the audience not they're treating us like intelligent human beings yes letting us figure it out like they're you know they're not you know they're not telling you everything but they're, you know they're showing you but they're not telling you like this is how it is they're just showing you and letting you come to your own conclusions like listen you know the the tendencies of the typical you know human being you know you can draw your own conclusions to you know knowing what these people were even like before all this happened right you get that mode. Just like Miguel. I, I have no doubt that Miguel was a troubled person before all this happened. It was probably riddled with a lot of guilt over something in his life. Because, I, I mean, the way he reacts when that, you know, when that contraption fails and it causes the death of two more soldiers, gets right. him bit on the arm. And I might, I, I might have to add, that's a cringe-worthy scene where they have to amputate his arm and cauterize yeah, that's good. That's, that's, good. A, that's, again... Great Savini effects. Right. But that, that's and the it, last. It's just happening. It's just happening. They're just doing it. It's just, I mean, yeah. so it's not, it, it, not it like, is. Hey, I mean, it's great. Yeah. Cut off the arm. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to cauterize the wound. We got to stop the infection. You just know that that's what they're doing. Right. So, you know, uh, there's <coughs> a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels. As a matter of fact, uh, they're even the little, the alarm for, for, for the, for the, the elevator thing that comes down is from this film too. But there's a lot of parallels to John Carpenter's The Thing as far as, as far as a story treating you like a smart person. Wait a minute, wait. They'll go, they'll go back one second. The alarm? The alarm. Oh, are you talking about the alarm when the elevator comes down? Yes. That's the same, that's the same alarm in The Thing. Yeah. And John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of parallels to me from the isolation to to the the fact that there's a lot of scientific research going on they never look here's a there's not a clear parallel it's not like these are ever answered but at least they try to figure it out and that's the thing that's what that to me the script the metal journey in the movie is that they're really trying to figure out what's going on and john carpenter is the thing they're really trying to figure out what's going on whether or not they really figured out what was going on they really didn't but they right. they, they, they they got piece very intriguing pieces of what was going on and to, to whet your appetite. But what it did is it massaged your imagination. It, it, yep. it treated you That's like a, an intelligent conclusions. Yes. Yes. It, it, yeah. Yeah. When you leave John Carpenter's a thing, everybody's going to have a different conversation. They're going to have about it. Yeah. Everybody's going to have something the different. And, the, uh, who's still human. How was it transmitted? What happened? You know, everybody's got, everybody's got a fan theory on that one. Yeah. And, and what, there's not really much, they're, they're both, they are both um, the fear of sickness. I mean, really, that, that's what we're talking about here. And I think that that's why these movies resonate, too. Because clearly, you know, to me, I, when I looked at, like, Day of the Dead and stuff, I, you couldn't, at that time especially, you couldn't get away from, like, maybe AIDS or something like that. To where you're looking at this, like, we all have a fear of, of sickness again look at the the recent events what it's done to everybody you know i mean i mean nobody wants to be it sick. resonates you know i think it resonates really well a movie like this or the thing you know is it runs a very unique kind of parallel of you know the current events with the pandemic you know and a fear yes. of illness and a fear of sickness 
We have all been sick. It is something that we all, it's a common experience between us all. This is, it, it just taps into our nature. It taps into our, the primordial stew where we came from. You know what I mean? It really does. Is that there's certain things that. that do that. And th- this movie to me, this story, all the zombie apocalypse, it, it's what sets it apart from like, let's say white zombie. Where it's that's more of a poisoning movie. You're poisoning someone. You're doing something. This is a, a sickness possession. You know, poisoning kind of thing going on. Yeah, it's directed more serpent in the rainbow kind of. Yeah, there are there are motives. There's no motive here. It just is. It's just happening. There's no, you know, the the, the pandemic has no motive. You know, I I, I I I watched a couple of people debate their theories on the problems. Listen, that. They asked me what I thought. I said, I blame the virus. Yeah. And I got the same reaction as got from you, which was, oh, yeah. I mean, we can blame <laughs> ourselves. I mean, we can do a rain dance, too, if we want, or we can just accept this stuff's going to hit us sometimes, and we're just, we're just creatures ourselves. <laughs> These things are designed to attack us. It's yeah. going to happen, you know, and, and the thing well, there's is, there's a bacteria or a virus or whatnot that we're all susceptible to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying we can't do stupid things or not. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean at all. And I'm not, I'm not going into the debate. What I'm saying though, is if you want to blame, well, it's the, it's the bug, man. Right. You know, it's, it's just like that. Because without the virus, there is no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yes, exactly. Whoever right. you want, you can try to lay blame on this side, that side, or this person or that person. But in the end, it's a stinking fucking virus. And, right. you, you know, it's, it's and, and, no, nobody's fault. It might be somebody's fault in how we've reacted to it and how stupid, like you said, the stupid things that we do. Yeah. But. In the end, you know, we got no one to blame but a, a virus or a disease. Yes, yes, yes. See, see, we're not all powerful. We are not all powerful. You know, we don't run the show. We like to think that, but we don't. And and we we affect things, but we don't necessarily control them. No, and, no. And and, and an I. Illusion. <laughs> what's that? I say control is just just an illusion. Yeah, in a way, and and to me. The, these these movies, these zombie movies, especially Day of the Dead, is highlighting the fact that they think that they have any control over the situation whatsoever. They don't. All that's happening is that the, th- the existential threat coming from the outside in, the sickness, which is being represented by the creatures, is exposing the people inside for who they are at their essence. And that, yeah. to me, is fine when, if you want to say, I really enjoy a movie like that. I don't like it when people tell me, again, to go back to what I said earlier, I don't like it when people say, I like that movie because it wasn't about the zombies. It's about the people. I'm like, well, then what are you doing in a horror convention? Right. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see a like, lot of, I don't see a lot of cosplayers dressing up uh, like, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know, the main, David M's from Dawn of the Dead. I do no, see a no, lot of people dress, up, dress as, up like a zombie. I see a lot of people dressing up as bub. That, yep. The monsters are, boy, those things, they get pretty popular, but who cares about the people? Yeah, I mean, how, I, how I, many I, Jamie Lee Curtis cosplays do you see at, at a convention versus how many Michael Myers? Oh, yeah, that, that's not even a, a, a question <laughs> there. It's like, it's like nine, nine and a half percent Michael Myers. 
No, yeah. Nobody is selling Laurie Strode masks by the thousands. No, it's everybody it's an unfair and their way to prove a collection point. of uh, everybody's yeah. a collection of you know Friday the Thirteenth hockey masks or J- their Michael Myers you know uh, Halloween masks. But you know, no, <laughs> no, nobody's nobody's cosplaying as you know, right, uh, right, final you, girl or the final no, no, guy. No, you, you don't hear a lot of people at a horror convention sitting at a table going, "Hey, hey." uh, is that a cousin Otto from Brady Bunch cosplay? No, no, no. That's Adrian King from Friday the Thirteenth. No, you don't hear that. You hear it's a, it's, it's. You know, either either they can wear the sweater and be Mrs. Voorhees, or the, or they're, or they're going to be a Jason character. You know, it's like that. So, so to me, it's not about the people. It's about, it's about the monsters. It's about right. the existential threat, and it could be how that exposes the people to, to push them to the point where they make a mistake because of who they are. That is what happens in all these zombie movies. If you watch these zombie movies, I promise you, in the first five minutes, you can tell how they're all going to die. Because right. they, they are, they are they're not, they're pretty much one to two dimensional characters, which I'm fine with, by the way. I like that. I like to know who people are in movies and stuff. So you have these, these not three-dimensional characters, and you kind of know how they're going to die almost immediately in a certain least, so like sort of. In the order that they're going to die. You know, like, okay. Well, it's like at the beginning, we, you know that Miguel is going to be the one that is the catalyst. Mm-hmm. He's the catalyst of both bad situations. He's the, the one who's holding the pole when the zombie gets loose and kills the, the, the military guys and sets off the, the real... I mean, there's a rift between the military and the civilians from the beginning. Right, but that's what draws the line. It's like, all right, we've now lost a couple of our guys. We're going to go and kill all those precious fucking specimens of yours, and then we're getting the fuck out of here and leaving you to rot. Right. Well, I mean, then it's made even worse when they find out, you know, Frankenstein is feeding the remains of the soldiers to Bub, which is really where, I mean, let's face it, Rhodes is already unhinged as it is, you know, and he's not really in the wrong for reacting the way he does. He's like, those are my men in there. You know, that's not food. Those are my men. You know, so as much as it's kind of a downer when they kill Frankenstein or or Logan or whatever you want to call him, I prefer Frankenstein. But, uh, you know, when they kill poor Richard Liberty, he's begging up until the last minute. He's like, no, you've been feeding them the remains of my dead men. I'm going to blow you away. And and then we get, you know, uh, and then Miguel, you know, while every, well, there's all that strife between all them, him, one armed man, <laughs> it was always the one armed man, just like the fugitive. Yeah, you know? Right, 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 right. You know, when yeah. he goes up top and opens up the gate to let all the zombies in above ground and then just l- leaves himself there, you know, on the platform, on that elevator as bait. He uses right. himself as bait, you know, and you right. don't have, you know, he had done cracked. You know, right. I think he was just like, none of us deserve to live. And when right. he lets that elevator come down and the, the last couple military guys, which is what, uh, Torres, Steel, Nichols, and Rhodes, when they yeah. see them coming down, they all realize they're fucked. Like, right. <laughs> you know, you don't even see the zombies at first. You just see the reaction on Rhodes' face and this change you right, know. right. Well, and his guns were taken from him too, so that kind of that that kind of is. He has to go find guns again too, which is right, right, which is interesting you, too. But um, I mean, you you're right. You you you're really right about the roads thing. You you can't blame roads given his condition. 
especially. You can't really blame. I mean, what do you think he's going to do when he finds that out? And th- that's the one thing about the movie that I don't want to call it a weak, a weak point, but you know, you kind of anybody who has ever watched a movie ever <laughs> is watching that going. You know, if Richard Liberty says the word rewards, it's all about rewards. I mean, I can't think what of else a could telegraph. Be right. I can't think of how they're telegraphing anymore what's happening. And I find that to be a weak at best twist. But then in the story structure, I still like it. But I think um, what it is, you don't want to believe that, like, yeah, like, reward has to be food of some sort because that's all they are. They're just eating machines. But mm-hmm. I think in the back of your head, at least the first time you watch it before it's revealed, you want to go, like, yeah, he's feeding them people. But you want to believe that he's not. You want to think, well, like, and, he's yeah. going to be feeding them people, but yeah, come on, he can't be really doing that, right? Right, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure there's an element. I think me and you watching it might have been like, no, that's exactly what he's doing. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 well, that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, something is satisfying that craving because he keeps saying it over and over again that that's war. And, 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 and he's and and to be, to be frank with you too, I mean, they're also basically talking him. They're trying to give them things that they don't want to eat, so they're giving them like canned yeah. processed Meat. meats and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they yeah. won't they won't touch it. Which that is a. That's a little funny second in that movie that I think says a lot too. There's so much when, in this movie. Yeah, There's yeah. not much, uh, you know, comic relief. You know, Logan does some things and says some things that is, you know, uh, is a little funny. But there's not a lot of humor. There's a lot of dirty humor in this movie. Uh, McDermott. Yeah. McDermott to me is laugh out loud funny. I mean, to me, McDermott, like when he, oh yeah, when he hits that zombie with the with the shovel, and goes, woof. Yeah, when he does it like. <laughs> Just, woof. Yeah, he just, I'm, just, I'm on board. And then he gets to his his flask that he dropped, and you know this his trusty flask that is always never not empty, is never you know not full, and it's empty. He just has right. that moment, just like fuck, like right. what am I gonna do? Well, here's the other optimistic thing about this movie. I think it's why it's the least depressing. It, it's, I think it's the most grueling, but it's the least depressing because there's really only three people who you want to live. And to be frank with you, Lori Cardeal is only that one of those people because she's just by definition the star of the movie. But to be honest with you, you know, John and McDermott are the two people you want to see live. Because they don't, they're not to blame for any of this stuff. They're just you know, sort of they, long for the ride. They are, and they're trying to ride it out. And they're trying, I don't think they want to piss Rhodes off, or they want to piss a scientist off. I think they see the, I think they see the, foul, the, the fallacy in what they're both doing. They, they say it, you know, as much, I mean, McDermott's pretty quiet, you know, through the whole thing. But you can tell he's on board with what John's saying. You know, right. and this too and, and stuff. And so, what's cool to me is that is that um, is that these people who you actually like these rays of sunshine in this dark, awful world that is Day of the Dead, they they live and pretty unscathed too. Um, I did. I don't know if you caught this. I did. For some reason, it always bothers me, and I don't know why. When John is sitting there telling Lori Cardeal. Let's go to the island. 
We make babies. Maybe we find some other people to make babies too. I, if I was McDermott, I'd be like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, well, haven't like, been, I haven't had a vasectomy yet. I right, hear, right, right. Like, I can how make about, them babies too. Babies. How about we all make some babies? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like I think she's kind of cute myself. I'll make a baby, you know, or whatever. Right, I, right. It always kind of like fascinated me that he didn't point his buddy out. It's like, oh, you want the girlfriend for yourself, huh, buddy? <laughs> you know. So it would be yeah, that would. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I, for some reason, it always got me. But you know, he's right, and and that that. His way of thinking is probably the way I would think too. I'm not. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm not going to ignore the problem. I'm going to run away from it because I can't right. do anything about it. I'm powerless to stop this. Yeah, and he admits the, the that. Living run the dead walk. So let's run away somewhere where they can't find us for long and spend the rest of our time drunk on a beach making babies. I mean, it doesn't sound like a bad way to go. New, you know, it sounds good to me, you know, and yeah. that, and I think that that is that that is the, the 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 elements of Day of the Dead, which make it to me hands down the best out of all three. I know Romero did more after this and past Land of the Dead too, and I've watched those, and some they they have varying degrees of quality in my opinion. Yes, uh, and validity. Village G uh, leaves something to be desired. There's something that I take away from each one that I like, but. They the, it, do not it, have the impact of the, the original trilogy. No, it gets weird. And even even a couple of them feel like Uwe Boll movies. <laughs> Some of them, they, <laughs> they get weird and a little disjointed. But I was going to say sur- Survival of the Dead, I'm looking at you. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> that one. I'm, I, I'm still wondering if Uwe was in the background on that one. But, but the end of that, the optimistic end contrasted with the bleak, entire rest of that story is a relief and Romero zombie movies do not give you any relief and the only time I ever saw one of his films give you any relief is that the very end of Day of the Dead yeah, and I appreciated that I, I needed the happy ending hope. yeah I needed the happy ending I'll be, I'll be completely frank with you I mean hey I, you know I, I mm. liked being a you know a, 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 a half you know a uh manic depressive artist youth like anyone else you know who liked the downbeat endings but sometimes i wanted to cheer right sometimes i wanted to i wanted to have the end of targets where boris karloff stands (laughs) up and beats a crap out of the guy with the shooting right at him you want something to cheer for you don't always want to end it on gloom and doom and it's stuff to cheer for i gotta get uh, your thoughts on that okay the, the ending before the ending Okay. When we have Bub chasing down roads. Yeah. Because Bub, you know, when he finds Frankenstein, like you said, he almost kind of like says, like, daddy. You know, yeah. I'll have to rewatch over that. But like when yeah, he's clear, slinging yeah. his, it's a zombie crying out in, in agony, you mm-hmm. know, which is, I've never seen it done quite. I mean, people, again, often imitated, but never duplicated. But when he looks down and sees those guns, you know what, it, like, he's smart enough, Bub is smart enough to know who did it. He knows right. because of his interactions with uh, Rhodes be- at the beginning when he saluted him and he wouldn't salute him back. And then he's, you know, he's like, I'm going to hunt this fucker down and kill him. Yes. And exactly what he does when they have their showdown, it's very satisfying. You yes. know, I think in anybody else's hands, 
besides Romero's, it would have been too quirky, too weird. It would have been goofy, but it's not goofy. Like when they show show down and Rhodes sees Bub standing before him, they both know. Right. They both know what the fuck is up. Right. And I well, love and- the idea of, of Bub hunting him down and slowly shooting at him. And, you know, for a dead guy, Bub's a pretty good shot. Yeah, he sure is. He you know, sure he only is. misses the first couple shots, but the next three, he <laughs> he plugs him in the side, plugs him in the shoulder, and right before, like when Rhodes opens up that door and there's this like a hundred zombies waiting on the other side, he turns around, he hits him center mass. I right. love. I don't know if you feel the same way, but like when Rhodes is going down, and just before the zombies literally tear him in half, Bub salutes. Yes. I yeah. Love that. I, I do mm. too. I do I, too. I, 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 that, almost every time I watch it. Yeah. And the, the subtleties of what happens there is great. One thing is that, look, Rhodes, when he gets shot, his, his physical reactions to getting shot are brilliant. They're way overdone, but, but you feel it. You know it's there and you feel it. And I love it. I love when he's, and, ah! you know, his voice is getting more like witchy poo kind of like, and he, he's kind of like crumpling up into a ball, almost trying to get away from him and stuff. There's a couple little subtleties here that I really, I really love about this. That's one of them. But here's the other one, too, that, that I've never heard anyone talk about. And I think that this is really interesting to me. After Bub shoots him, why doesn't Bub go and take a bite out of him? You know what? I had the same conversation with Patty when we were watching it earlier. For yeah, the... he walks away. And I think that I think because part, he... it's just part of the optimism at the end of that movie to me. That you're actually you're actually cheering for one of the zombies, but not all of them, but that guy. And that that zombie <laughs> makes one, yeah. you think. He makes you think. And and that I think is what's really interesting. Uh, the other thing too, this is a side note, a technical note. Um, anyone listening, and I'll say this on my podcast too eventually. I have not said this before. I really have not. I'm going to someday. Because this is one of these things I've thought for a very, very long time. So there, there's the old story about when Rhodes gets torn in half, the 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 guts they put in there were spoiled. Yeah, right. that they had now, unplugged the fridge yeah, that they were in because they're right. real big guts. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to tell you something. I've never, I, I'm not, I'm not a professional filmmaker. I'm not a professional special effects guy. I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan of, especially horror films where we, they have a lot of fake guts and things like that. Okay. I want to tell Tom Savini and every other special effects guy. Matter of fact, next time I see Bob Kurtzman, who I know a little bit, I'm going to tell him this too. You guys can stop thinking it's some kind of professional wrestling kayfabe that that practical joke is not on purpose in tons of horror films where someone accidentally unplugs a refrigerator and lets all of the guts go bad. I don't know how many movies that I've seen where that exact same story is told with a straight face by the people involved. And I'm looking at them going, dude, how many times have you unplugged a refrigerator, Cameron? Never, except for when, it, when we were moving. And, and you might have forgotten to until it pulled out of the wall then too, right? I mean, you just Right, don't. right. How many times have you heard of this exact same story happening? Oh, so I've heard it a lot. Yes. So you tell me if it's a practical joke or an accident. Oh, and, I somebody decided like, hey, I'm going to fuck with these people. Let's see them use their fake guts or their 
pig guts now. I think I have no doubt that the fridge was unplugged. The fact that, that it was done, whether it was done accidentally or deliberately, I think it was probably someone playing a practical joke. Yeah, I have no doubt that that is a ongoing practical joke that is played on horror films with these special effects guys and the guys that deal with the, the real guts they get from butchers because every movie I've seen where they use butchered guts, it, I've heard the same story. That it, it went bad, but not naturally. It went bad due to a, a refrigerator breaking. Yeah. I, every <laughs> single... I'm I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe if you haven't noticed it from now on, think of, think of your buddy Temo. And, and if you're watching special features in these movies, you watch. It happens all the time and every I can't time remember like, any oh. specific I can't remember a specific time but I remember hearing that story on a couple of different occasions for low budget films and some higher budget films yes so it's kind of makes me wonder if there's practical joker on every crew <laughs> yeah well if you pay attention to it I think it is a known practical joke I think it is a what and kayfabe is the secret thing in pro wrestling where that was their word or it's our it's our secret they say kayfabe is our secret. Well, ah. I think it's with the I think it's with the special effects people. It's their secret that they they do that to screw around with the the crew and the actors because it's it's got to be horrible. I mean, it's, it's uh, got to be awful. It's I mean, not a good smell if, if if they were if they were fresh. It wouldn't be a good smell. But let, let alone right left well, unrefrigerated. Yeah, that would if, be stinky. If you don't believe me, you explain the rubber chicken that's in Pilato's guts. There's a rubber <laughs> chicken. Yes, I know. There's a rubber chicken in there. If you if you if you freeze frame it, you can definitely see it. It's it's yeah. not on screen for very long. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was something that I I heard that I'm like, you know what? I've heard this so many times. I need to say something about this. If that story, and I can't honestly, Cameron, I didn't. I can't. I can't cite to you the actual times I've heard it. But I know the first time I heard something like that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I mean, and I know oh. that I, I know that they had to keep that food out and that dinner scene at the end all for 24 hours. I get that. And I know the head cheese went bad. Uh, uh, Gunnar Hansen told me that in person. He's like, the problem was was the head cheese. That was the problem. He said yes, he told just, me that exact same story on set. Yeah, yes, I remember that. Yeah. And 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 so, yeah, so you heard the same thing. So that yep. I get. But I had also had read and heard that something had gotten unplugged there too and it started out bad and it's like i don't know i don't know who does it it's a bad practical joke it's sick i don't think it helps anything but it does help performances yes it does so uh, who well, who knows i got a, yeah. i got a couple of questions for you okay. before we, yeah. uh, we we tally up our review here sure uh favorite line of the movie favorite line of dialogue jesus mary joseph <laughs> And that's a repeated line. He says that at least yes. four times in that movie. Always yeah, followed by uh, a swig of Irish whiskey. Yes. Uh, I think mine is, uh, it has to be Rhodes' line of, I'm running this fucking mar- monkey farm now, Frankenstein. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's a good I'm one. running yeah. this monkey farm now, Frankenstein. Just, or like uh, even uh, uh, Frankenstein's line of, where your ignorance is only uh, exceeded by your charm, Captain. Yeah, just, that's just, a good one. Yeah, I really use that too. line with people in my daily life. It, it, I don't know how many times I've used it, but I've used it many, many times. Usually on people who don't know any fucking better. <laughs> yes, um, that, is, a, that it, is definitely a good intellectual put down. It's a good one, yes. Right. All right, favorite performance of the movie? 
it's it's the same. It's it's Jarlath. Oh, favorite performance. Um, yeah. Well, Jarlath Conroy, the McDermott guy, the Jason Mary Joseph. I, he's my favorite guy. I mean, like, I mean, there's miles ahead. I love him. Performance wise, though, it's a toss up between Richard Liberty and Howard Sherman. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Howard Sherman. Those the, the, the facial. You gotta remember that's not his face. He's a handsome oh, no. guy. Those are big, thick appliances that are put on him. So when he's making the facial expressions, he's doing that through appliances. And, right. I, and I, I've never, I'm, again, I'm not an actor. I can only go off what I've heard. But from what I've heard, I, no, I take that back. In hack movies, I did have appliances on my face. And I had to act. Again, I'm not an actor. I was just happy to be with appliances. And it was hard to do that. But I, that, that was pretty amazing. I mean, he really acts with his face and that's not his face right right and, and that's that, amazing that latex is fucking amazing yeah I and have Richard Liberty, walk. yeah um i believe he is who he is so. yeah i believe uh, richard liberty is logan uh, yeah I, there's so many you? great performances in this you know What's i have favorite? to say richard liberty as frankenstein okay. he is so just so layered you know and he Especially like in the the best part of his performance is not even a part that he's liter- like necessarily in is when uh, Billy and Bill McDermott and Sarah find the audio cassette that, mm-hmm. and they're playing it and he's like I put it away mother I put it away you know mm-hmm. you, you know and, and he's losing his mind and it's like you could tell he's getting frustrated and everything and it, this is on tape of him breaking down and like you know. Maybe even torturing this zombie who wasn't maybe as receptive as Bub, you right. know. And I love the fact that he's crazy, but he recognizes other forms of crazy, like the crazy, the the ego kind of maniac, you know, Rhodes character. You know, like he re- realizes, okay, this is a catalyst. This 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 guy is uh, gonna destroy us all. I need to reel him in. You know, just right. like when, when uh, John says, you know, hey, the old doctor can talk him silly. You know, he's crazy, but he's still highly intelligent. And I just love it. He's a very layered character. And I love Bub. I love Howard Sherman as Bub. He's my favorite zombie character of all time, you know. And, you know, we've had a lot of uh, kind of super intelligent zombies and whatnot portrayed on film, but none like Bub. None right. like him at all. But well, we, there's we, still we so many. To, yeah. Well, I was gonna say we have to also we have to really, you know, as as a as an honorable mention, totally here though also is Joseph Pilato, you know, as Rose. Oh. Is it because we were talking about that intensity? Yeah, you know, it's funny. He's the kind of guy. If I was on set, I I don't think I'd be able to help myself. I would have to take a pin and sneak up to him while he's performing and stick him with the pin to see if he'd <laughs> yeah, right and just go off like a balloon. I mean, just like yeah. you know, because he is so. He's ready to go. Yeah, he's His so unhinged. I just want to tell him, my man, let, you know, lay, lay off the caffeine. I'm, I'm not <laughs> one to tell people to to drink decaffeinated, but I think he needs a little decaffeinated. Right. I mean, we've both seen this movie, right? But can you honestly right. tell me you're not slightly concerned he's going to go into cardiac arrest? Right. Like, I, while, like, like, he's like while we're off at the <laughs> meeting and he's just screaming and going full tilt, like. I'm just like, dude, slow down. You're going to have a heart attack. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. And it look, he goes, I mean, he makes Ric Flair look like David Cronenberg. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, 
it's insane. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for Pilato to elbow drop some of his clothes, you know, or something. Right. I'm like, like, to go to the top, uh, the top <laughs> rope and drop a double axe handle like Randy <laughs> Macho Man Savage. Yeah, you're going to Space Mountain with, with Rhodes. Styling and profiling all the yeah, way to the yeah. end. You know, one uh, thing though, too, is, is I, I even told Angie, because um, you know, I, 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 I popped this in yesterday and, and I told her, I said, you know, I did lament. I said, I watched it. I'd seen the movie a bunch of times. And I said, but boy, I've seen it so many times. I just, I, I had a lot of stuff going on this week. It's like, I really didn't want to watch it. I wasn't in the mood to watch it. But once I sat down and started watching it, I wanted to make sure that I kind of thanked you because it's like, I haven't seen it in quite a while because I've seen it too many times, but being forced to watch it again, I, I, I love it. I, it's a fantastic film. It's a fantastic movie. I'm glad I watched it again. Um, I never need an excuse to go back and revisit this movie. I was glad to have this excuse, you know, with Romero mm-hmm. Appreciation Month that I, you know, put together. I, I This is one of the movies I was looking forward to revisiting the most, mm-hmm. you know, but I never need a reason to, to revisit Day of the Dead. It, it's on my one of those that I can put in any time. Yeah. You know, I don't watch it maybe, maybe once, maybe twice a year, you know, but yeah. Never need an yeah, excuse it, to watch, watch this movie. Well, and, and, and apparently I did, but I can see where you're coming from. Just even revisiting it, just saying, "Man, this thing is just great." I mean, and it holds up, and it it it's it's timeless. And I think that it will be, it will have the same effect twenty years, forty years from now. It's one can it's only one of those movies. It's one of those movies that's always going to hold up. It's always going to hold up, no matter. I think yep. it's going to hold up well past night, night or dawn. Um, well, you know, it doesn't wear the ear and sleeve that, that hard as those movies. I mean, did. It was those more movies, of a, yeah. it was more of a cult hit than the first mm-hmm. two. You know, the first two were like phenomenons. You know, but the, right. the third has you know gained that sort of cult following of being the favorite among us. You know, horror files and whatnot. Because I think it, it's underappreciated. Everything about it is top notch. The 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 performances. The effects, like I said, Savini was never any better no. than than he was at, at this point of creating good zombie effects or not even good zombie effects, magnificent zombie effects. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, really, the only technical thing about it that I don't like that doesn't jive with me is the kind of weird, uh, kind of island type music that accompanies it. Sometimes is a little off putting, but it mm-hmm. doesn't ruin the experience for me at all. It's not mm-hmm. something that, you know that. That, that, you know, I find, you know, that is like a fingernail down a, a, a chalkboard. It's not like that at all. But it's just a little off-putting at times. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's an utterly perfect, as perfect as a film can be. Well, and also, that, you're, 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 the, the actual location itself helps, helps keep your interest going. Because, like, you know what a farmhouse looks like. You know what a mall looks like. I, I don't know how many underground military installations or or mines, which is really what it was, stone mine or something. I don't know how many of those you've been to, but I haven't. Nope. So never so seen it's one, more never seen one except for here. Right, and it's so interesting to see how immense it is. It it the world down there. It, it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, it's just something different. It's something you don't come across all the time. Right. And I think that 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 really lends itself to that you're actually interested in the environment that they're in. Because it's somewhere different, you're 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 off balance the whole time, right? Because um, you're in unfamiliar territory. Yeah, and they're so safe. Here's, they're so safe. I mean, a farmhouse—you break through a window or something, whatever. A mall is like a sieve. 
there's doors everywhere and ways to get right. in. And way not out to mention, you're hit. never going to get everybody out of a mall. Like all the zombies are never going to kill all of them in the mall. You're never going to, you're never going to clear that out as much as you think. So this, like, they're so safe that it's even more heart wrenching when they're not in a way. But they deserve it. Yep, they deserve it. Yep. Well, that being said, let's go ahead and get into our final rating and review. And uh, you know the rules around here. Guests go first. So give us your final rating on a scale from one to ten, if you would. Oh. I'm trying to think of something that wouldn't be a ten in it. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give. It, I'm gonna give it a ten. I, I probably would have given it an eight. But here's the thing: after watching it again, it held up better than I remembered it. That I watched enough movies to know that that doesn't happen very often, ever. Yeah. And this one, hold, this sure. one is getting better with time. And there's only a couple movies that I have that are getting better with time, and. I'm almost surprised. Uh, clearly, this is one of them. Uh, this is, I think this is going to be, when we're old or long and gone, this is going to be something that people are going to be reaching back to. And they'll be mentioning dawn and night. But I think this is the one that they're going to say holds up the most and has the lo- longest lasting practical effect in society. Agreed. Agreed. I, I agree 100%. I, I you know, if I could cheat and give it a, an 11 out of 10, I would. Because mm-hmm. uh, everything about it, is, again, is top-notch from the performances, the direction, the writing, obviously the effects. I mean, and the zombies themselves, they've never been any better. And, like, you know, it's a movie that's been remade twice. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, uh, I wouldn't even get off into how horrible those remakes are. Either one of them. Neither one of them are worth a lick. You right, know, but yeah, you know this. That's a, a moment where I mean, we've talked about remakes before of remaking movies that deserve to be remade because they had imperfections and could be made better. You can't make this any better. No. Uh, Day of the Dead, a stellar, rock solid ten out of ten. I agree. I agree. There you go. So therefore, it is. It, it is now a fact. That this movie is a ten out of ten. Yeah, like, I, like I said uh, the other the other evening when we were talking about uh, we were talking about Creep Show, me and uh, Tom Commissar. I said there's there's two camps on this movie, and you know whether you're, I'm right or wrong it remains to be seen. But in my opinion, there's two camps. Uh, there are people who love it because it's a great fucking movie, and there are those that are wrong. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Agreed. It. And that's a fact yeah. as well. Yeah, that's a fact as well. And I, I go back. I mean, if you if you disagree, go back and watch it. Yeah, give it I mean, another really, chance. Honestly, yeah, if you disagree, go back and watch. I think a lot of people might get a bad taste in their mouth about something. That taste stays there, and they keep talking about that bad taste, that bad taste. But they never try to wet their palate again. They never try to say, well, you know, maybe I wasn't in the mood to see it then, or maybe I didn't. Maybe I was fatigued with the '80s. When I saw it, and I and I didn't really, it didn't resonate with me. But I think there's enough time has passed now where these things that Romero's talking about, they're, they're always gonna be relevant. These issues in society, but the relevance of the '80s, as far as how it's being presented in this movie, is gone. It's history. Now go back and look at it and watch it as a great movie, a great horror film, um, and see what you think. Find the flaw. Exactly. Well put. You know, well put. If the there, like I said, if there was any, 
anything that was a flaw was the a, a little bit of the music and some of the music is highly effective john harrison's score is highly effective it's just a little weird at times but i still give it a 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. because i like the cameo by the by the alligator yep <laughs> the alligator <laughs> cameo <laughs> that was like wait, wait a minute that was like almost- they had the zombies like walking around that alligator. I would have not have wanted to have been one of those zombie extras and just like I'm sure somebody told them, you know, the, the alligator trainer was like, Oh, it's probably an old alligator is missing a lot of his teeth. Yeah, yeah, you, you fucking walk around it. Yeah. Try to somebody- pretend that you're not a leg of lamb. <laughs> somebody who's somebody who saw Fulci's movie was for a split second might have thought, are they gonna take a bite out of that thing too? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like to have seen that, right? Yeah, that would have so, been something. Yeah, zombie, al- yeah. zombie alligators. Like, who would stop that thing? Right, right. That's the alligator uh, part three sequel that we never got. Oh, yes, yes. So we'll, I'll, I'll leave that mired up in part two, the mutation. We'll leave it we'll right, leave it right. stew back in there. Yeah. So, but good movie. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you uh, uh, asking me back on and, and talking about this. And it was, uh, it was really refreshing and good to go back. I would not have watched this movie had you not contact. I was I probably wouldn't have watched it for the next five, ten years, to be honest with you. I just seen it so I'm many times. I'm glad I was the, the catalyst for you to watch it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie doesn't get enough love. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I agree with that wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. And Romero would have agreed with you too. So yeah. and I I you, why argue with the guy that made it? I mean, right, right. Again, it's a fact. The man the, the man is is a a li- was a living legend is now an undead legend. Yes, yes. He that is. being Absolutely. said, I think we'll draw this show to a close. I know you got uh, some other things to do, and I'm sorry to have kept you for so long, but I really, really appreciate you coming on for uh, Romero Appreciation Month, and uh, maybe we'll get you on for next month. I have another Appreciation Month uh, in the works that I'll have to tell All you right. about off All the right. air, off the All air, right, because cool. we're not going to let anybody know that. But Ooh, thank no, you no once spoilers. Again. Yeah, thank you once again, folks, for uh, tuning in to Cinema Degeneration. We always uh, appreciate you listening to our silly little show. I have been your host, Cameron Scott, and this has been my co-host and cohort in crime, Tim O'Sabin. Once again, thanks for joining us, and we bid you a fond farewell. Thank you. Let them overrun us. They have overrun us, you know. We're in the minority now. Something like 400,000 to one by my calculations. I haven't eaten. Is there food? You were supposed to be here at 7 o'clock sharp, mister. I know. Sarah told me. I'm sorry I couldn't break away. Is there food? Listen, egghead. Let me bring you up to date on what's been... Let me... Excuse me. Is there food? I'm running this monkey farm now, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time! Because if we're just jerking off here,
I'm going to have my men blow the piss out of those precious specimens of yours. And we're going to get the hell out of here and leave you and your highfalutin asshole friends to rot in this stinking sewer. Is that food enough for you? Where will you go, Captain? You can destroy my specimens, but what about the millions more that are waiting to greet you outside? Do you really think you can blow the piss out of them? All of them? 